I'm going to talk about Robert Zemeckis, bitches. Kayleen has Robert Zemeckis' initials tattooed on each of her butt cheeks. (laughs) Kayleen has fucked Robert Zemeckis. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Carol Zemeckis. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of We Explain Movies. I'm Kimmy. I'm Kayleen. And I'm Courtney. And this is the podcast where three best friends submerge you in a cesspool of spoilers as we explain rate slash review, and decide whether or not to see the latest and greatest or most beloved classics of film. This is a cesspool for spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're talking about today, which is Death Becomes Her, then tune out and tune back in after you've seen it, or we're going to spoil the heck out of it for you. For other spoiler timestamps, you can check out our Instagram and Twitter at WeExplainMovies. Here's how it's going to go. We're going to start off with some watch list items that we did this past week and we're going to move on to some movie related questions followed by the explanation of that movie we're going to rate it and then we're going to close up with recommendations and adding to our watch list that sounds like a lot it's because it is get ready (laughs) (laughs) this is a journey every week these aren't measly episodes as you can see this one is four hours long (laughs) (laughs) they're what we call chunky boys chunky boys (laughs) Alrighty, well let's start with the watch list then. Who wants to kick it off? Of what did you watch this week? I can start. Sure. I had a really, really rough time. I Yes, it's, it's my fault. It's Kimmy's fault. Oh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Within a 48-hour time span, I watched... Big mistake. I watched all 23 episodes of The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> and just pondered the grim possible dystopia we are jettisoning towards (laughs) and I was just overcome um it's like what happened to Courtney I haven't seen her in a week she's crying in her bedroom (laughs) yeah and I I didn't cry the whole show and I watched I I watched it with Kimmy and Kimmy was you know a mess every episode (laughs) you know and she she turns over to me tears running down her face and she's like how are you not crying watching that scene and I was like I said because this this show is so sickening that I watch it the same way I watch Saw. (laughs) I don't cry when I watch Saw. Yeah, it's gross that he has to cut his leg off, but The Handmaid's Tale, it's just gross, and it made me really sad. Um, so I'm, I'm not gonna watch season three. No! You're gonna watch any of it? I don't know if I can. (laughs) I'm definitely not gonna watch it soon. Uh. Like, you can't deny that it's a good show. It's a really good show. It's, it's just too much for me. Um. I will yeah. say, I wonder if you're, you're, I mean, I haven't watched any of it, me, Kayleen, but uh, I wonder if your opinion of it is warped because you did consume it all at once. Maybe. Like a giant meal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because Kimmy watched it over like two years. Yeah. I think I, I think that I got on the train certainly after season one and, and as I was watching it, season two came out. Mm-hmm. So that had already been streamed and I could catch so up. So you were able to binge watch it too. Yeah, but you which probably, I did. You didn't go as hard as I did. <laughs> no, I didn't go as hard as you. Yeah. No, it's usually like one, maybe maybe two episodes, you know, during a day, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe not subsequently, yeah, you know. Yeah, that was the wrong path. I felt like I needed to watch Sharp Objects just to cheer up. But instead, after watching all of The Handmaid's Tale, I watched... Again, in one sitting, um, Ava DuVernay's four-part series of When They See Us, which was about the Central Park Five case that's on Netflix now. It was brilliant. It, it, it's a true story about uh, five boys in Harlem in uh, 1990. 
1989, who were convicted of a horrible rape and assault and near death of of a white jogger um and they were four of them were black and one of them was i believe puerto rican and it's just that right after handmaid's tale of like thinking about what the future could hold Mm -hmm. and also seeing like kind of the atrocities that have been very recent that was only 30 years ago um however i i highly recommend it so much that it was just a brilliant piece of filmmaking i mean she cast dynamite actors and told it in a really unique way and it was a four-part series with the first episode being the crime and the suspects, the next one being the trial, the next one being um, the prison, and then the fourth one I won't reveal. Um, but it is a true story, and what was really interesting was the villain in the first two episodes, timed kind of perfectly if you think about it, because uh, now she's America's villain, was Felicity Huffman. Oh. They filmed it before the whole college scandal that happened with her and Aunt Becky, Yikes. and then it was so weird to see her in that role uh, with Vera Farmiga, who I think does Villainous really well, mm-hmm. so much so that I'm kind of like scared of Vera Farmiga. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she was doing it with Felicity Huffman, who was just the epitome of of a political monster, and it was very, very weird Whoa. to watch. I was like, how are you in this? But it was filmed over a year ago, yeah, and it was, yeah. like, weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I read some cool articles about that. But When They See Us is on Netflix. It's it's hard to watch, but I think it's important to watch, and so I really recommend that. And, yeah, Sweet. that's what I watched this week, those two, two terrible, terrible things. <laughs> Kayleen, what did you watch? I watched a fart ton, y'all. Uh, <laughs> and also, Courtney, you're a liar. We watched Thor 2 together. Oh! <laughs> um, we were talking about, there's things to complain about, but overall, I was like, this is a fun time. Everybody like calm down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the biggest thing is that we just had a really fun time talking about how Endgame would tie into it. I don't want to spoil things, but basically, with oh, Natalie yeah. Portman having the ether in her, we just kept making jokes about that tied into Endgame with that. Yeah, that was really fun. Yeah. And... And it, I, I kind of liked, I gotta say, I liked the, the plot of it and the villain, because there really, it didn't feel like there was a big bad the villain. villain. Was shit. <laughs> but the, the, it mostly felt about a quest to get the ether out of her body, yeah, and exactly. that's more interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, oh man, when Thor first shows up, I was like, oh, like, shows up for Natalie. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, damn. <laughs> he just appears on Earth. That's great. I liked that one. Yeah. I was, I had a fun time with it. <laughs> it was fun, yeah. Yeah. Um, this isn't a movie, but the three of us finished Fosse Burden. Oh, yes, we did. we did. It was really good. It was so oh good. Oh my god, you guys. Yes. <laughs> Obviously I'm biased because I love Sam, but that was a great show. I think it it's going to be a huge contender for Emmys. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. It better be. I don't doubt it. I don't but you know doubt what? win. If Amy has to lose an Emmy for Sharp Objects to anyone, it, you had, hope it's Michelle it had and better not be Patricia. Michelle and not Patricia. <laughs> it had better be Michelle. Oh, Bobby, I just, oh, I bo- can't. Oh, oh, Bobby, I could never. <laughs> oh, <why? laughs> uh, yeah, it made me, made me have some tears. It was nice. I rewatched Baby Driver. Oh. And I love Baby Driver. Talking about it made you excited. It did. And I, I had been wanting to rewatch that for a while, so mm-hmm. I showed it to Tommy, and he loved it. And I just, I love that movie. It's so good. That's so nice. I also watched Fifty First Dates because oh. I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about it, and it made me really want to watch it. I haven't seen it in a while, and in my older age, I was super emotional because... 
Mm-hmm. It's pretty sad. And it Drew is. Barrymore cries a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was, every time she cried, I wanted to cry. I Me. was like, this is so heartbreaking. Um, I also watched Ingrid Goes West, which I told you guys about. Wow, mm-hmm. Kayleen, where did you find the time? <laughs> I've had like a week and a half. <laughs> I watched Ingrid Goes West. Love um, it. Which I loved just as much the second time. I forgot how sad the ending is. I mean, it ends up being happy to a degree, but I was mm-hmm. like, man, I'm depressed. And then, I, where I want to talk about the most is I saw Rocket Man. Mm. Uh, no, don't spoil anything. I'm, She's I'm not, not gonna spoil, spoil anything. anything. God. Um, okay. But the word around town is that <laughs> people like it better than Bohemian Rhapsody, and that I just can't fucking fathom. I mm. just can't. So I, I went and saw Rocket Man with Christian and Dakota, and. We were all kind of, like, not skeptically going into it, because we'd heard good things, but I had my comparison eyes on, I think, the whole time, because I was like, okay, I want to see, you know, if there are legitimate reasons for people to be liking this one more, because I'm sure there are certain things that are better or whatever, and the whole movie just, like, really didn't do it for me. Oh, and I don't know if you know this, because the trailer doesn't show this, but it's a full-blown musical. I it assumed it was. It is a full-ass musical. I thought it would have been in line with um, Across the That's Universe. That's what I thought it was. It, it's like if Across the Universe tried to make it about the Beatles. Mm. So they shoehorned oh, yeah. all of Elton John's songs into his life, trying to be like, these are about every aspect of his life. And I get how that would be weird. Stupid. Now that I'm thinking it's about it. It's a good way to showcase all of his songs, because I know one of, not not my like negatives, but one of my wishes for Bohemian Rhapsody is that we would have gotten to hear more songs. Yeah. Because yeah. I love the songs, but how are you going to put that many songs into one movie? Yeah. You know, if it's, unless it's a musical. I just, it, it felt like... One, they were trying to shoehorn them in because they wanted to show all the hits, you know? Yeah. So they're like, well, let's pretend this is because of this part of his life. And it's oh, like, okay. don't think that's true. I think you're putting that in there because you need to. I'm sure it's not. And yeah. They, yeah, and they also would completely stop the action to have these musical dance numbers. And I was like... Oh, so I, it didn't drive the plot then? It did and it didn't. It was like, there will be a scene, and I'm like, wow, I'm excited to see how this scene goes. Too bad it just got derailed by this musical number, and <laughs> now it's over. Mm. Like, so, there's just a whole lot of reasons that we can talk about after you see it. It wasn't, like, horrible. There, Taryn is amazing. He's amazing. I heard he sings live in it. Like, I yeah, heard it's they, not, like, a uh, track or anything. Oh, that it's not a track? I doubt like, that. Like, no, sorry, I'm sorry. He does all the vocals yes, for the songs. Yes, he does. And that he, some of it, it is him singing for oh, the camera. Again, they're like, his performance was amazing. The songs were really fun to see. But there's, I would just, I would like to talk to you about it after you've seen it because I had a yeah. lot of qualms and I definitely think Bohemian Rhapsody was better. I'm curious to see it now just because I love a good mu- movie musical. Yeah. Me too. So I might really appreciate that Maybe. aspect of it. So the movies that we watched together were both yesterday. Yeah, movie, yeah. movie day. We first saw Dark Phoenix. What? Stop. We saw Dark Phoenix. We saw Dark Phoenix. Guys. We saw Dark Phoenix. Guys. Okay, stop. Okay, I I was the most excited to see this Easily. film. You know, honestly, and yet I enjoyed it the most. Did you really? I think so. I mean, I enjoyed it. I know that it was bad. 
I mean, this, the, it See, that, that in itself, like, that's fine. You can like a movie as much as you want, as long as you'll be like, your feelings are validated on the things that were bad. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I just, the script was bad. The script was really bad. <laughs> they just relied so heavily on exposition and reiteration of stuff that I think is superfluous. And it's like, just let the actors act. You don't need to explain their feelings to us. Yeah. Um, Especially with such good actors. Yeah. Sophie Turner How many Oscar it. nominees and winners do we have lined up in this cast? Literally. How many yeah. cult phenomenon or cultural phenomenons of Ready Player One? Yeah. Uh, whatever Nicholas Holt does. <laughs> Sophie Turner. Yeah. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence, The Mockingjay. Yeah. yeah, they've got plenty of people. Yeah, and I just think, so th- I already told you guys this, but they just... Kind of, and I know they've had this cast of characters in um, Apocalypse, but this one felt so much more like bubblegum. Like the colors aren't dark. Mm. The stuff that they do is just a little bit too family movie oriented. It's losing its like metallicness. And that's mm. like, I don't know how to explain it. And like when we were talking about it yesterday, because there's so many X Men movies now, we yeah. were just one of the things we were saying is how grungy those first original three feel. Yeah. And how they don't feel like that now. No, it's, I don't know if they're trying to reach a wider audience. I don't know. That really upsets me because the grit is just, it's part of it. I like that it feels realistic, even though it's like really sci-fi and fantasy. Mm -hmm. It's, it has like political messages. It feels like they could live among us and that, and that would, be what it's like. Yeah. And now it just feels a little bit Disneyland for me. You know, you saying all that, what it really makes me think is they made this movie for me and not for you. Because Kimmy is a very serious X-Men fan. And I am not. I have seen the Wolverines and then what Kimmy has shown me in my later life. Whereas Kimmy, you've like, you've grown (laughs) with this saga. You're all about it. And this was blockbuster action sequences, a bunch of hot people you recognize. And I was like, fun, (laughs) do it. What's happening next? And all the exposition, I was like, you're right. I don't know who this person is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so that's, it was made for me, I think. And like Mm -hmm. that whole group of people, like these are the newer-ish mutants who you don't recognize as much and who are not the the Charles and the Eric mm-hmm. that you know and love, there are these cotton candy versions. And yeah. so I was on board, and I liked it, but I can see why yeah. a, a big, longtime fan would have a hard time grappling with that. Yeah, and I won't, like, go into more negative stuff about it except for the fact that there was some shoddy camera work in that movie. Freaking blurry-ass shots. It's like, redo the take. <laughs> you know, you have the money. Out of focus stuff that, what, you didn't, see that until post like what yeah. I don't know I guess I'm not a film maker I'm not a <laughs> cinematographer a dirty, dirty yeah you're <laughs> definitely the most filmmaker out of the three of us well like I don't I you don't have a production company I do <laughs> I don't have the personal experience of camera work so I know that it's really really difficult and that it shouldn't be taken for granted but we do the take you you're know a Hollywood movie guy get it yeah. together don't you have pickups <laughs> anyways I liked the action I thought that that was really dope. I, I thought their action scenes were great. I thought that Sophie Turner did awesome. Yeah, she, and she was awesome. looked dope the whole time. Yeah. Uh, Jessica Chastain obviously can do no wrong in my eyes. 
<laughs> I thought she was great. She was great. Yeah. I just, I can't, you know, praise her enough. She's my yeah. favorite. She's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know it yet, but she is. She will. She will. <laughs> because she's the villain and villains are going to be in danger at some point in superhero movies. Yeah. When Jessica would be, like, facing off with somebody, Kimmy whispers, she's like, don't touch my wife. <laughs> <laughs> she's getting kicked around and stuff, and I'm like, oh, don't do that to her. <laughs> Yeah. I uh, I just wanted to say um, two things. One, not enough Evan Peters, which I've already said to you guys. Yeah, not like, enough Evan Peters. Evan he Rachel said Peters. like two things, and I was like, excuse me, please let him be on screen more. <laughs> but anyway, the other thing I wanted to say without spoiling anything, because it was my favorite moment watching it with you guys, is in the climax of the film, <laughs> <laughs> there's a basically a standoff between good and evil. It's this very epic, climactic scene. And something happens, and you'll know it when you see it, but something happens, and it was so extra that I put my hand on my head she and, like, palmed hard. I, like, bowed my head in shame. Not to even, I didn't really think either of you was gonna really notice. I, well, I, I immediately turned to see your guys' reaction. I was like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And Courtney goes, look at Kayleen, and then Courtney and Kimmy just start cracking up, and then... We were trying to keep it cool because it's a pretty dramatic moment, it's and the most everyone emotional around, part. Of the, of the everyone movie. around us is like into it, and we're like giggling. Yeah, <laughs> hardcore. Uh. All right, so Colossal then was the last thing we watched. Yes, oh, yes, we Colossal that last night, and I loved it. Good. We all loved it. That yeah. was Kayleen's first time seeing it. Mine and Kimmy's second. I had I had been wondering like I was like oh I wish I had forgotten the ending. Because that's fun when you rewatch a movie. Yeah. But what's nice is I did forget certain scenes, and so rewatching mm. those, and I forgot how incredible the camera work and the cinematography yeah. is. Yeah. Yes. There are some amazing shots in that movie. And the writing is oh. good too. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, I just like, I really appreciate writing because it's way harder than people think. Mm-hmm. And the first time that I watched it, I remembered the scenes going on for a long time. And I'm like, wow, that's a lot of writing. And it just keeps getting cleverer and cleverer. And then the the reveal happens like in each scene and you're like, that's what all of that buildup was for. Mm-hmm. Every scene is like so earned. And the actress deliveries are so amazing. Yes. And peak performance. You know that that writer Apple. hasn't really written anything else except for not in the English language. Oh. Mm. He needs to have more work done, like for sure, because it was great. I wonder if, um, because I'm not a huge, I definitely don't seek out foreign films unless they really stand out to me, but I wonder if some of those are, like, phenomenal, you know? Mm. I don't doubt it. Yeah. Yeah, I will only seek out foreign films if it's for, uh, awards season or if it's the director. Like, Denis Villeneuve is French-Canadian, so I've watched his French movies and I was like, yeah! Like, I was gonna say, a big one that's been on my watch list is Dogtooth. I know that's horrible. Oh, I watched oh, Dogtooth. Yeah. And, well, yeah, that's, but again, I sought that out because of Yorgos. Exactly. And I was like, I want to know what your films sound like in Greek. And mm-hmm. I did, and I was like, they're just as good. <laughs> they're just scarier. as twisted. That's so wonderful. Yeah. yeah. But uh, let's hear more from you, Kaylee. From the first watcher. Uh, definitely the, the cinematography in that last scene when... I mean, the climax of the movie, that was, oh my gosh, beautiful. I know. Um, When she's holding him, and they're looking at different things, but they're split up, so it looks like they're looking at each other. Yeah. This doesn't make sense for listeners if they haven't seen it yet, but it's just so creative. Yeah. 
And what I really liked watching it my second time, not to derail Kayleen being the oh, <laughs> said like one word, but Kimmy mentioned this on the podcast is what she found to be the most creative movie. And when she said that, I was like, yeah, the premise was really unique. And then I watched it and I was like, this is so creative. I, I feel like we should open this up to spoilers because your okay. your other comment is basically a spoiler, so we might as well. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, first of all, I loved when the robot came in because mm-hmm. I didn't know that was good. I... I I almost wish I went into this not knowing anything. We so kind of talked about it a lot. So that I... Well, and because the trailer tells you she's the monster. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I almost wish that I didn't even know that, because then they they hint at it when they show her footprints in the playground, mm-hmm. but it, it, I already knew. So yeah. I was like, okay, the monster's gonna come. But, uh... Yeah, so things like the robot appearing, I was really excited and surprised by. Mm-hmm. And, and not like... knowing why or what's happening or why the other mm-hmm. friends, why they don't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just, yeah. yeah. And Jason Sudeikis' character, that throws you for a loop, for mm-hmm. sure. Because yeah. it, it just that. seems like he's being the jealous guy mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she's sleeping with this other guy, which I wonder who she ends up with in the end. because the, she herself. herself. She needs to totally. be alone. Yeah. she has some crappy options. <laughs> yeah. You know what? There's uh, a guy who's never touched a woman before. Yeah. There's an abusive monster, and then there's a British prick. Yeah. You should definitely wait a bit and then watch it again, because mm. watching it a second time, knowing how everything turns out, is really cool. Because yeah. you, I don't know, I just realized everybody is kind of a shitty person. Yeah. And they're everybody all just is trying, struggling. Everybody has their own struggle. Even, you know, her kind of ex-boyfriend, when he comes back and, like, he's gonna save the day, you realize he's still not a good person. He's still not good for her. And what I really like, too, is there's this whole thing about her character where she's unfortunately a, a struggling alcoholic and she tries to give it up, and the second he's back in her life, after lecturing her and berating her for being an alcoholic, he goes, do you want a drink? And yeah. starts making a drink because he's proud of her for not drinking. Right. And I was like, do you not understand that you're an enabler and you're a yeah. monster and yeah. stop it? And she, she acknowledges, like, I finally got a job, which you've been, what's the word, uh, badgering me to do yeah. for a year, and now I have one and you're saying it's below me? Like, do you want me to have a job or not? Also, one more thing, because I feel like I've interrupted you, like, six times. Oh, that's okay. (laughs) Um, watching it a second time, knowing what happens to Jason Sudeikis, you see kind of the symptoms of who he's gonna be way before I noticed it the first time. Like, he... That's how I felt about him bringing the couch over. Yeah. And the TV. I was like, that's invasive. And then she says, or he says, last night you were so drunk, you said you wanted this. And I was like, I don't feel like she did it. He's always telling her, oh, it was your idea. You made me do this. It's your fault. Yes. Oh, you know, you wanted me to bring this shit over. You know, you said it last night and you made me do this. controlling and possessive and controlling what she does in her free time. And he's there popping up Mm -hmm. at her house. And then Mm -hmm. that makes makes perfect sense when he breaks into her house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And there's stuff too, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> there's stuff too that we that we know is part of character building that we don't even get to hear about in the movie and it's not given to us through exposition, like the fact mm. that he was maybe going to get married to somebody. Yeah. And that relationship broke up for some reason and we never get to hear exactly why or who she is or what their relationship was like, but I'm sure we can infer that it's because of 
the way that he is with yeah. Gloria and maybe oh. his home living situation mm-hmm. and his possessive nature. Yeah. Or also if that his stemmed. house was a pigsty. Yeah, he's a hoarder. He looked like a hoarder. Yeah. And that's why mm-hmm. he had all that extra stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then just the yeah. nuances of the characters was brilliant. And the addictive friend at the very beginning, they're like, oh, he just does this. He rambles on and forgets why he's talking about stuff yeah. when he gets excited. That's yeah. because he's addicted to cocaine. Yeah. We kind of talked over you. Is there anything else you would like to say? Well, the only thing that I was going to say, which, like, this isn't a big deal or anything, but, um, because we all, like, once he pushes her down on the playground, we were all talking about him being the villain, and then, like, the next time we see him is in his gross-ass house, and he's apologizing profusely, and I'm Mm -hmm. like, it's clear that the movie, even though they showed us what he's like, is still trying to convince you it was a slip in his behavior. Right. He's a good guy. So what I felt bad about, too, is Kayleen was watching it for the first time. I forgot all about that other scene where it's possible he can be redeemed. Yeah. We, I, I we forgot what I was talking about. Yes. Yeah. So oh. we forgot about that scene. So Kayleen was like, guys, he could still be good. And we had forgotten there was a yeah. possibility for mm. his his redemption. Because, yeah, we all make mistakes. And he they both were drunk. And you can make mistakes and everything. But Kimmy and I were like, he's garbage. <laughs> yeah. Kayleen, don't you hate him? He's a monster. I thought that was the only reveal, which is why I was like, da I thought he pushes him on the ground? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And, and they. Yeah, and I totally forgot about that scene. I thought we were going to go straight to the bar scene. Did where you, he let, oh, I was going to say, did you remember the firecracker scene? That, that was when I was like, you're a fucking psychopath. I, I forgot him showing up in her house and them getting into a... F- mm. I mean, I forgot how much violence between the two of them. The punching they, and the fist he fighting. He punches her. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's got, got a nasty black, black eye. eye. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. Um, I Which forgot that all about that. is also... Not that at that point in the movie that isn't shocking, but... The fact that they already got in a fight where she slapped him and he did what normal men will do, and you, if a woman slaps you, you take it. You don't hit him back. No, you know? yeah. And he did that. And it's like, yeah, I was surprised he didn't say something meaner to her, but I wasn't surprised he didn't hit he her. He looked at her and he was no. like, okay, I get it. And he's he walks away. He's saving it for later. Right, yep. he's <laughs> saving it for later. Which I didn't expect, and I, f- I forgot what had happened with the... Mm-hmm. I forgot how much violence there was before. I was like, okay, now's when she goes to Seoul. Like, she's yeah. ready to fly oh. to Korea. And that didn't happen. So <laughs> <laughs> she gets, like, kicked in the face. I would like to make a callback to the Swiss Army Man podcast where I claimed this was the most creative movie that mm-hmm. I've ever seen outside of Swiss Army Man yeah. because that's the most creative movie that I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but my favorite part is when she falls down in the the oh, playground the and then crying. Jason Sudeikis stamps on all of the mulch, but you can hear the people oh. of Seoul like screaming. crying and screaming yeah. and the buildings crashing and she's regarding it as if that's really happening before her eyes. Yeah. I was like, it's so mind-blowing. That's it's true. Crazy. Because yes. obviously we are hearing it and feeling the pain of it, but she just knows that yeah. every stomp is probably killing... So cool. I'm glad we all loved it. <laughs> Y'all should watch Colossal. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. With that, shall we move on? Is there anything else? That's that... it for me. Sweet. Okay. okay. So, questions related to the movie of the week. And this week, like we said, Kayleen, me, will be explaining Death Becomes Her, the 1992 film by Robert Zemeckis, uh, well, directed by Robert Zemeckis. So the questions that I came up with, first question, name a movie where one or more well-regarded actors committed 100% to a non-serious leading role. Okay. So we all kind of 
mentioned this for a spot before we hit record of it was way easier to find comedic actors yeah. taking on dramatic roles and just soaring with them. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to think of this, and I like you know the why? idea. I, why? I had a thought. Of, uh, I had a little, I sat and had to think about this. <laughs> Comedy is hard, guys, and it's. I yes. think it's yes. hard to pick up the language and to make it rise and get the timing mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And and I think it's always funny when people think it's so surprising. Oh, this. This comedic actor is doing a dramatic role. It's there's mm-hmm. truth in comedy. There's yes. so much truth in That's comedy. That's why it's, it's easier to do the transfer that way. Yep. Yep. And are you thinking what I'm thinking? Maybe. I once went to it was when I went to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in high school, mm. and one of the actors at the festival said that someone once asked him, uh, "Which do you like better, doing dramatic acting or comedic acting? Like, which one is more fun for you?" And he said, honestly, they're very similar because often when you're doing a comedic role, yes, it's funny to the audience, but it's dramatic to the characters. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the stuff that happens in the office is not funny to the characters, but it's yeah. hilarious to us. Oh, yes. Yeah. Pam going, stop dating my mother. And Michael yeah. going, I'm going to start dating her even harder. Yeah. That's so terrible for Pam. Yeah. 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 But it's not funny if the characters realize the comedy. Of yeah. course not. You know? um, and, and I just think that that's like, you know, Kristen Wiig doing dramatic roles oh, is so exciting. Yeah. It's uh-huh. so good. But yeah, I think I think it's harder it, to, yeah. to double back the other way. I will say, and obviously you guys can answer this however you want, but in Death Becomes Her, it's because these characters are committing to a ridiculous silly role. And mm-hmm. the people that I picked are not doing dramatic roles that are funny. They're doing ridiculous They're roles. doing comedy. So my answer, though, um, I have an honorable mention and the honorable mention is because it was not the lead. It wasn't, I think I know what you're going to say. Oh my gosh. It wasn't the lead, but boy, was it glorious. Boy, did it just make the Hallelujah Chorus blare. Yeah. Can we try doing saying it on three again? <laughs> I would love to do that. Can we say blank, 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 blank and blank? blank? All right, let's Ready? go. Ready? Look into my eyes. Okay, you know three, what I'm saying? Two, two one. one. Michelle, I have to not leading role because I was going to put it as an honorable mention. So that's why it's my honorable mention because it's you not the it lead. say again just in case it's... It's Michelle Williams <laughs> in what is not the best movie of I Feel Pretty starring Amy Schumer because that's all about her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Michelle Williams is a big supporting character yeah. and... We felt our souls for that one. <laughs> she... Yes. The voice that she does, the, the characterization that she takes on is just the exact antithesis of Manchester by the Sea, oh, yeah. Blue Valentine, Fossey Shutter Island. Do you want <laughs> your heart ripped out while I shove it back down your throat? Yeah. Like, Literally everything I've seen her in before this, even though they're wildly different characters, I'm like, man, why don't you just like stomp <laughs> on my heart? Yeah. Oh, Michelle Williams, please slap me across the face and then walk all over me in your stiletto heels. Guess I'll cry myself to sleep tonight. So, getting the chance to see her in this... And just having her talk in this ridiculous baby, high-pitched voice um, about cosmetics and about how it's hard being stupid and not knowing how to run a company, I was like, who offered her this role? Who thought of her? Who was in the room with her when she decided to take it on? Because that's such a gift. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I love Michelle Williams and I Feel Pretty. 
my actual answer, and I don't think it's the supporting role because there's no male in this movie larger than them. Um, and it's kind of like a twofer because they both just feel as ridiculous, but I'm going to go with the stronger of the ridiculous two is Jake Gyllenhaal in Okja. Oh, I haven't seen that. Kimmy's pissed. I am. I thought you were going to pick mine. Oh, Kimmy okay. thought I was going to pick Velvet Buzzsaw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that would have been the second, so I'll let you talk all about okay. it. But Jake Gyllenhaal in Okja, which I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, it's OKJA, and it's about super pigs. It's about these pig hybrids that have been bred to be the size of, like, a trailer. Already a ridiculous premise. Already a Netflix original. Uh, however, that movie gets me. It got me hard. I was a mess when I watched it. I don't think mm-hmm. you guys have seen it. I've seen it. You've I seen it? I thought you'd seen it. I was bawling my eyes out at the end of it. Um, this, the, the last scene Jake Gyllenhaal is in, I was just aghast at what he was doing. And Were everything... You really Oh my gosh, Kimmy. Since I watched this one like I watched Saw. <laughs> <laughs> See, like, that's, that's where... disgusting and that makes me feel like a grubby, you know, slug person. Oh, see, that made me go, I'm back to being vegetarian. Oh, because, you ruined it for me. What happened? Well, I had been vegetarian for 13 years, and then I decided, maybe I'll take a break for a year. And I think, like, in month three of that year, I watched Okja, and it's about super pigs. It's like trying to solve a world crisis by making these enormous pigs. But what the people don't realize is that they're obviously going to be used for consumption. Mm -hmm. It seemed like it was mostly like a genetic modification thing of like, what if we could make super pigs? And then you see it and it's this horrible factory farm of all these pigs with really, really human-like faces because they're so big that they're like, it'd be like elephants or something. and. And you see them just kind of being mass loaded up and everything. And like I said, I'd been vegetarian already for yeah. over a decade. And like, it's because I'm, s- pigs are my number one. Well, I was yeah. going to say, I know that, and I yeah, don't and I've, eat that at all. I don't, I've never eaten a pig and like, they're just my favorite animal. And so seeing that and, and just watching this little girl sobbing as she's trying to find her pig in this mess to bring it back, I just was bawling. <laughs> How does that one scene in Sharp Objects make you feel? <laughs> uh, the book. The book is so way, much grosser. The book is disgusting. Oh my god, the book is so much grosser. Yeah, yeah. The, do you remember that? I do. Oh, <laughs> we gosh. all read that book. That's cool. We all read that Good book. For us. The the scene in the show, I I just I think more about Amy's performance where she's like, the smell of the pig farm really got to me, and I was yeah. like, you. That's I can't I can't imagine filming that. Yeah. I would have just started breaking down on. Is his performance funny? So. His performance is hilarious. He plays like the host of Zabumafu. <laughs> I think his name is something like Johnny Wildlife or something like that. And he's dressed like a pedophile the whole movie. He's, he's always wearing shorts and knee-high socks. Oh, that it's that picture on your Netflix. So when I log into Netflix, it says Courtney and it's Actually, my Netflix name is The Middle Child, and right. then it's just Jake Gyllenhaal screaming. <laughs> it's from that movie. <laughs> and he's wearing a safari hat, and he's got a mustache for a pedophile. And when he is this Johnny character... Is he a pedophile? No. no. Okay. He's... But it's one of those mustaches. No, I know. <laughs> when I he is it. on camera filming for his wildlife show, where he's just like a Steve Irwin, okay. he talks in his normal Jake Gyllenhaal voice... But it's actually that the character is putting on a voice. That's so funny. And then in reality, he he talks up here and he's really crazy. And 
so uncomfortable to watch and he dances and he takes off his shirt in the movie and wow. and he's, he's a drunk too and he? he's a drunk and just a loop and he's all over the place and he's the most eccentric person I've ever seen Jake Gyllenhaal play oh, that's so fun. and I, I I would watch it just for his performance again however he does something that is just so un <laughs> yeah <laughs> unable to be wiped from your memory that I'm like Jake why'd you do that what does he do what well, does he do does he fuck a pig? <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. honestly feels like he's going to do that. He yeah. doesn't do that. This but is actually why I didn't pick this film for my choice. Because of... Because I thought it was way darker. Like Yes, it gets dark. But the first three quarters of the movie, you're just having a laugh at Jake oh. Gyllenhaal. Wearing shorts. <laughs> he's a monster and a half by the end of it. Um. I can't believe that he committed to that degree, though. Of... Of looking like a fool and doing all this stuff. It was very weird. Yeah. But I liked it. That's cool. I like Jake Gyllenhaal on anything. So that's my answer. Should we go to her next? Yeah. She seems ready. Yes, I am ready because my choice is also Jake Gyllenhaal. (laughs) I had a really hard time with this question. uh, And I don't really think that I got it. But it's Jake Gyllenhaal from Velvet Buzzsaw. Which is not a comedy, but it is satirical. So satirical. And it's not a comedy, but Jake Gyllenhaal commits to this out-of-this-world, ridiculously artist-elitist fuckhead. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And he's so irritating that it's funny. And just the vocabulary that he takes on, it's like he's been speaking that way for years. Yeah. I totally believe His little mannerisms. Yeah. And, like, aristocratic. Yes, aristocratic. It's such a... (laughs) caricature of those people yeah. that you can't help believe it because it's so ridiculous. Like it, when he's at the funeral and he's mocking their choice of orange casket yeah. or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. yeah. I, it makes me think of in Barry how much that points at what theater people are like. This <laughs> yes. points at what art people are like. Yeah. Oh, gosh, can you imagine hanging out with art people? I've never. <laughs> no. I've never. No, it's probably like Jake Gyllenhaal and Velvet Bessel. <laughs> yes. And, I mean, Nightcrawler is something that I've not seen him do before he did it. I thought that was uh, fantastic, but this is just like such a different coin altogether that I was like, wow, like you are just a chameleon and, and it's hilarious. It was hilarious. Yeah. It's hard for me to choose which one is honorable mention and which one is the real pick because Mm. one I'm way more familiar with, but I think the other one is the more notable one. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to say the one I'm more familiar with as my real pick. Oh, you have an... Oh. oh so my cool. honorable mention is the one that I think more encompasses this, but I have only seen it once. Cool. Okay. Jeff Bridges in The Big Lebowski. Ah. Uh, that was the number one hit when I Googled... Me too. ...dramatic that's, actors who yeah. took on comedic roles. And that's why I don't feel like I should talk about it as much, because I don't remember the movie super well. But what I and will I've say... And I've only seen it once as well. Oh. Yeah. Is that... We know Jeff Bridges in lots of other things. I've seen him in countless movies. He's you know? a caricature of a cowboy. Pretty much. Pretty <laughs> yeah. much. I think, isn't he in Hell or High Water? He's in Hell or High Water. He's in True Grit. True He's Grit. That's the other of others. One. I just, I, I think of those two and I'm like, the cowboy. The fact that he is already so iconic as himself, as Jeff Bridges, and that he somehow flipped to this role of the Big Lebowski and has become so separately iconic as the Big Lebowski. Oh. I think that's so impressive that you are not that kind of a guy. You don't usually take those kind of roles. Yeah, you're right. 
But somehow you've become this icon for comedy, and that's mm-hmm. really not your thing. So I think that's pretty impressive. I don't have plot stuff to talk about, but that's my honorable mention. Okay. My real pick, because I just watched it recently and I have seen this a lot of times, is Jack Nicholson and Anger Management. Oh, I've not seen that. You've never seen it? Mm-mm. Oh. And so that's I've why... seen Anger Management once, so okay. tell me about so, it. So that's why I love Jack Nicholson in this, because he is full ass in this role. Okay. It is so ridiculous. It, he just goes so over the top that you don't know what to expect from him. There's this scene where he's making breakfast for him and Adam Sandler and he's stirring the eggs up and Adam Sandler says something and he just slams the plate against the wall and eggs go everywhere and the plate shatters and he's just staring at Adam Sandler really blank faced and he's like, now why did I do that? And just... <laughs> Stuff like that, or when they I can sing, exactly when they sing, I like. feel pretty. Like that is so iconic from that movie. There's the scene where he comes out and he has this weird hair electrode thing, and he's like doing his hair with it, and he looks like a psycho because his hair's all on end. He just he really gives it all, and there's like these ridiculous fight scenes with other characters. I just he's so goofy, I and can, that's really yeah. not what he is in most mm-hmm. things, and he commits just as much as he does the drama, so I love him in that. So moving on to question number two. We're already nine hours in. <laughs> <laughs> like we said, this is in real time. This one is, name a spooky slash spoopy movie you love. <laughs> and when I say spooky, what I mean is specifically the type of vibe of a Tim Burton movie or a movie that you would watch on Halloween that isn't necessarily Scary. Yes. Like a kid could be in the room when you're watching it. Even if yes. it's not made for kids. Okay. Yeah. I would like to there can be first. swear words and stuff yes. first. It can be, it, it's, yes. it's really pretty open. I just kind of wanted to give you the vibe that I'm talking about. Okay. I'll go first, then you and Kayleen, and we'll just, we're just going to state them. And I'm going to say them in order of least important to most oh, important. Perfect. Okay. okay. So my least, and was kind of like an afterthought. Is what we do in the shadows. Cool. Oh, so that's neither of yours. Yeah. <laughs> My next one of what I would actually consider an honorable mention is Zombieland. Oh. Okay. And my number one is obviously, because my sisters can attest to this, <gasps> Hocus Pocus. No! <laughs> no! I, I figured that would be on one of yours. You know what, Kimmy? Uh, Name your group chat the Sanderson sisters and uh, then we'll talk. <laughs> damn it. Okay. You can go next. Okay. My first honorable mention, Chicken Run. <laughs> I don't believe you right now. Yeah. What on earth are you talking about? I wrote down chicken run. You're not my real friend. All right, what's next? You guys, just let me talk about chicken it Chicken okay? too. Uh, Wallace men- and Gromit. <laughs> um, honorable mention number two, Monster House. Oh, fun. Robert Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis, so uh, on brand. Then my, my choice was Hocus Pocus. You know what, Kimmy? <laughs> Mine are not related to yours at all. I feel better. Okay. <laughs> We've all lowered our knives. Okay, going from least to most. Mars Attacks. Okay, that's Tim Burton. Edward Scissorhands. Tim Burton. Clue. Ooh. And Beetlejuice. Okay. Tim Burton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when, when Kayleen suggested these questions, she was, she was like, think Tim Burton. When I was a kid, I never was like, I'm a huge Tim Burton fan. Yeah. But that, that vibe was always like my favorite thing. Yeah. Mm. And I, I have always loved Beetlejuice, but I was going to say that's why I love, and I'll talk about this like a lot in this episode, but that's why I love Tales from the Crypt. 
oh. is all those episodes feel like that. And they are a little more mature. There's a lot that are like not, kids should not be around. Yeah, like the one I watched with you. Well, that was a movie. Oh. But there's like nudity and stuff in that. But that kind of vibe I've always liked. So, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't plan for three of them to be Tim Burton. They just were. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So you go first. Um, for me, what we do in the shadows, I have Amazing. seen a, a few times. And so last October, though, I tried to do 31 thrills in 31 days. I only got to 21, which is very good. That yeah. is really To good. watch 21 spoopy or scary movies Can we please in October. I will never. <laughs> uh, that's like one of my it favorite describes words. describes a vibe. It really fits a vibe because this is it spoopy. Does. It's not scary. However, it's so fun because it's a comedy that is full of gore, and that movie is a riot. It's so it's, good. it's so clever. It's so Taika Waititi. Jermaine Clemens in that. Everyone in that. It's just hysterical mm-hmm. of, of the vampire tropes being just done to the nth degree. I love it, and it's so funny. And then Zombieland was this big phenomenon for me where I it came out in, what, 2009? Eh, something like that. And that year for Halloween, I was a zombie, and then I just went crazy with with zombies. I went crazy. My like every background of every device I had was this photo of Buddy Holly as a zombie. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> every screen name I made was about zombies. My license plate. I was a nutcase about zombies. Love and it. So I hate zombies. I really? love zombies. They, I I hate them because. To me, they are the most realistic monster. Oh! Because it's like, what if an outbreak does happen and then people just want to eat my flesh? You know, it's fun, And Killeen. I have to lock myself in my house. So you're I thought super of upset that. about the bath salts phenomenon then, huh? I hated the bath salts <laughs> phenomenon! <laughs> okay, so I love zombies. Kimmy no, and I... freak me the hell out. I, I had her watch Life After Beth with I, me. I have that on my list. Which I'm was so good. That. It is good. I gotta say, I love the movie Fido, which is like this 1950s era movie of zombies exist but people use them as servants or Whoa. pets so that's why it's called Fido that's fun anyways Caitlin I'm sorry you don't like <laughs> you don't like me and my people um but Hocus Pocus is obviously my number one I mean I know that's a big trope of I'm a 90s gal I love Hocus Pocus yeah. and now it's having this huge resurgence that movie is so funny it's and I so funny I kind of want to make it a thing now where I watched every October 1st because Kayleen yeah. and I watched it October 1st I mean it's and great it's it's I classic. own it now, and it's classic, and it's hysterical, and it's just, I love it through and through. Kimmy, you, what do you have to say about it? Um, I won't really say anything further on it. It's a great movie. Yep. The songs are classic, mm. the way that she sings it. That yeah. The man. jokes that you don't realize are about virgins until you're in your <laughs> yeah, 20s. Yeah, yeah. The costumes are great. Yeah. I love the little girl in it. She's from... She's um, American yeah, Beauty. Yeah, she's from American Beauty. Yeah. yeah. Also, the chemistry between the sisters is yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That, yeah, the joke's about when they get to that guy's house who's dressed up as the devil. So, I won't really say anything further on that. I can just, like, talk about Dick and Run. What in the world is wrong with you? <laughs> okay, guys. There's aliens in it, but it's not a scary There's not movie. aliens in Chicken Run. What is... Then why did you pick Chicken Run? Chicken Run is creepy as fuck. <laughs> That's why I picked it, because it's fucking spooky. This is our hot take, guys. <laughs> hot take of 2019. Chicken Run. Chicken Run is a horror movie. <laughs> not only are the claymations It's pretty, not claymation. Scary. It is Disney. Chicken Run? Are you thinking of Chicken Run? What else would I be she saying? She just I've said been chicken, saying run. chicken Run this whole time. <laughs> you just said the same thing she said. <laughs> I 
Because I hear that you chicken little. No, chicken run. I like... <laughs> oh, my chicken run? Did you mean chicken run? Yes, I'm talking about chicken run. <laughs> no matter what, my brain only kept picturing chicken little. You said Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, Kimmy? I said Wallace and Gromit. Oh, Kimmy, you are right. Thank you. Thank you for the validation. Thank the you. The fact that you're just like, <laughs> chicken run. for chickens okay and it the chicken have teeth like what is that <laughs> the chicken are voiced by mel gibson what is that <laughs> we're gonna bake the chickens into pies because it's scary okay it is really really scary and that's like targeted towards children you know who does that it is scary yeah okay moving i on. can't believe i thought you were talking about chicken little <laughs> i'm glad you agree though all right, Kayleen, your choices? So I put this one as the least because I, not because it fits the least, but because I think it's my least of favorite of the four, is Mars Attacks. Only seen it once. Uh, it's so goofy and so outlandish, and I loved every second of it. It's honestly pretty on par with Death Becomes Her. Okay. Because mm. these other ones, I think, are a lot more renowned, but Mars Attacks is one where 50% of people hate it and 50% of people love it for what it is. And I think Death Becomes Her is kind of like that. Where a lot of people don't like it, I don't think it's critically acclaimed very well, but it is a cult classic. Other one I won't go into because I've gone into it before, but Edward Scissorhands is mm-hmm. so that vibe, it's ridiculous. With the contrast of the house compared to the suburbia, that's, I feel like that just encompasses what that vibe is. Is We mm-hmm. have this bubblegum feel, but also look at this scary house. So Edward Scissorhands is really good. Clue is my second honorable mention, or second second most on this list. I just, I mean, first of all, Christopher Lloyd is in that, so oh. tying into Rob Zemeckis. Okay. Um, Tim Curry is yeah. in that. It's just, the whole thing is so dry and hysterical. I don't know if you guys remember this, but... I didn't know it was a movie. Clue? Yeah. Oh, it's so funny, Kimmy. Oh. It's, uh, I don't know who made it, but it's got that vibe of, like, Tim Burton-esque films. Yeah. Yeah, I love that one. Number one is Beetlejuice. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how much of my personality I want to reveal on this podcast. I would love to know. But. Because <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, I am not an only child. You guys know I have an older sister, but she's 15 years older than me. So. That's so many years older. I grew up as an only child. And therefore, I had a lot of imaginary friends that I didn't think were real, but that I always drew from fictional stories. Always. And I would, like, pretend they were my friends, and I had, like, a collection of friends, one of them being, like, Peter Pan. But one of them, the weirdest one, was Beetlejuice. Because I used to watch the Beetlejuice cartoon. I don't know if you knew that there was a Beetlejuice cartoon. I didn't. But there was a Beetlejuice cartoon. Very limited, I think. Probably Mm -hmm. not a lot of episodes, but to me, as a kid, there was a lot of them. (laughs) There were seven. (laughs) I thought it was a very popular, very ongoing show. It wasn't. And uh, I loved the movie, and I loved that show, and I was like, this is my vibe. I want everything to feel like this. Um... And to this day, the, I haven't seen the cartoon since I was probably under 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I love the movie. Everything about it is so good when they're dancing around the table to the, uh, daylight come yeah. and I want to go home. Awesome. I just remember the waiting room scene and that freaked me out. Because everyone mm. looks all freaky. He's a small head guy. Yeah. And like weird scary. couch sitting lady. Weird mouth guy with eyes in his mouth. Yeah, when they pull their mouths open and they're like scary monster mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I wasn't a brave child. Small head guy makes <laughs> yeah, me Kayleen, think that... of Men in Black when the weird bug guy gets his head chopped off and it grows. Mm. That doesn't make me think of that. I think like there's another movie with a shrunken head in it. But Kayleen, oh. I gotta say, I'm very surprised you watched such movies as a young child. Yeah, you know, I think it's one of those things of, like, having a blended family where I was like, I'm in several houses, like, who's gonna mm. let me watch what? Which I didn't know about you. <laughs> yeah. Because I, yeah, I've, I've definitely known, like, what your, your childhood movies were, and I didn't know that some of them were on it. We've wrapped up the questions portion, should we get into predictions? Because I am excited. I'm honestly so excited and ready. Uh, to hear this movie, I guess I'll I'm, share my predictions first. I'm gonna go, um... I'll say, depending on what your predictions are like, I might give you a little bit of plot, but I, I really want to hear your predictions before I give you anything. Okay. So what I'm imagining is Meryl Streep is playing Do you a... know who all the people are? There are no, three. but I want to guess. I mean, okay. you already know that I thought that this movie was going to be Murder, She Murder, She Yeah. So, so I want to guess. Okay, but you know Meryl Streep. Yes. That's okay. all I know. Okay. Meryl Streep. There's, There's a There gal. are two girls and a guy. That's all I'll say. Meryl Streep is a gal. Maybe her name is Tina Fanana. <laughs> she's like a rich, waspy How woman. How did you guess her exact name? Thank That's you. Crazy. <laughs> Tina Fanana is like this really rich, waspy woman who has a lot of white dresses and pearls. And <laughs> her arch nemesis, Rachel Lefevre, is played by, and now I'm going to guess, Gina Davis. Okay. Played by Gina Davis, and Meryl Streep and her are, like, enemies because Meryl Streep landed the guy that they both liked named Tom Tom. <laughs> Tom Tom. His first name is Tom, and his last name is Tom, but the last name is spelled T-H-O-M. <laughs> it's like that, that, that thing we had where Thomas, but pronounced Thomas. <laughs> yes. Um, his name's actually Tom Tom. His <laughs> name is Tom Tom, and he's played by an actor who no longer exists in the film industry. Like he's feels, dead? No, like he just went away. Oh, okay. And he feels like a weird hybrid of Michael Fassbender, <laughs> Alec Baldwin, oh, and Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> Okay. I like feel like we I'm all... on drugs right now. <laughs> I don't know what I'm listening to. <laughs> we all feel like that's what his vibe is. Okay. He could easily play a Joey or an Oscar winner or a... Because <laughs> <laughs> you know I said it's Oscar-worthy people. <laughs> or, or an Alec Baldwin type. Oh my gosh. The, the Oscar winner person was Michael Fassbender, who I actually yeah. don't think has won an Oscar, but I think Alec Baldwin Watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. I had you. Thank you. Um, so anyways, Rachel Lefevreur, if that's what I named her. That's like real actress. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. it's the chick who plays Victoria in Twilight, the first one. Isn't it? Don't, don't quote me on that. Fine, Rachel Dickinson is this other woman. So, so Meryl Streep is wearing a lot of white. This other girl is wearing a lot of black. And that's really funny that you say that because I, I saw this as a fun fact, but didn't write it down because I didn't think it was interesting enough. 
But the Meryl Streep character is noted for wearing a lot of white, <gasps> and the other character is noted for wearing a lot of red. Oh, red. But okay. it's just really funny that I'll you switch. pointed that out at all. So she's wearing a lot of red, and Meryl Streep dies. She's been killed by an axe murderer. And are you just saying that's off the fly, or are these educated guesses? No, this is off the fly. This is this is uh, what's his fucking name? Mike Myers. <laughs> the axe no, no, no. Just like she's been killed. Yeah. I feel like there's gonna be an axe in this movie. I don't know. Okay. Or a candelabra. <laughs> so it's Meryl, Meryl Streep has been killed. The other girl named Rachel swoops in and is like, "I'm now gonna marry this hot hunky guy." She gets there and they get married, but then it becomes clear she's in danger, and so she must listen to the ghost of Meryl Streep to survive, and then also, through some sort of witchcraft, bring Meryl Streep back. Mm. Realizing that it wasn't what she wanted to be married to this hot hunk of man. Okay. Man. You go off of that, and then maybe I'll ask you some questions (laughs) to get more predictions. Okay. Uh, uh <laughs> everything I said is truth. <laughs> so she's this is scared. why it's great that I do old ass movies that you've never heard of. Yeah, I've never heard of. Face off starring Patrick Swayze. <laughs> okay, so there's three people in it. They all are right. all famous, you would know all their names. Okay, well I'm that's funny because my guess for the guy was gonna be Patrick Swayze. <laughs> oh so, that's not my guess at all. I just, I just like, really mean, want you guys to like get it on your own. Like make some more educated guesses. Is it um so, think okay. of the year. It's 1992. Oh, yeah. Can I think I was negative two. Thanks. Can you say... <laughs> oh, it's nine, it was 1992. I was, I negative, was negative two, two years old. <laughs> Can you say years or styles of other movies that they've done? This man. Ooh. Oh, the man? The man. Uh, action. Okay. Action? Yes. And, like, they had, like, how many huge hits? Uh, franchise. Tom Cruise? <gasps> Pierce Brosnan! It's Pierce Brosnan. Is it Pierce Brosnan? I don't know if I should tell either of you. Don't tell us wrong. yet. And then tell us about the woman. <laughs> the woman doesn't do much anymore. Okay. Okay. A relative of hers does. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what this movie's about. <laughs> the movie is called Death Becomes Her. Yes. Right? Okay. So maybe Meryl Streep is dead. She also needs to move on to another life. Okay. So in order to do that, she has unfinished business with the guy that she's with. She has to get him to move on and find love again. So she contacts, maybe it's like Michelle Pfeiffer. I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm so excited to find out who it is. And she kind of coaches her on how to get with him. And she turns into kind of like an annoying, like, shoulder angel devil person and then you know halfway through she starts to get jealous that he's Mm. fine moving on and she tries to intervene but in the end the resolution is that it's better for them both if he does move on and find love with michelle pfeiffer i don't know so let's start with a couple of fun facts because uh you know since we've all seen back to the future i'm not gonna get to have a back to the future episode ever But this is kind of my honorary Back to the Future episode. And anyway, so I'm going to say fun facts, some of which will tie into Back to the Future because Robert Zemeckis. Okay. So the first one, and this was, so I, you know, I I kind of became, I've always loved Back to the Future, but I kind of became obsessed with it in high school, like maybe freshman year of high school, because I watched all three 
over the summer, like, in one day, I think. And I was like, damn, best movies of all time. And I watched, like, commentaries about them. I watched the behind the scenes about them. And then, because my stepdad has a bunch of DVDs, like, that's kind of where I get this DVD collector thing from, I saw that he had the DVD for Death Becomes Her. I was just browsing, like, I want to watch something I've never seen before. And I picked that one up and I saw that it said directed by Robert Zemeckis. And I was like, watching this right now. So I watched it. And back then I didn't notice. But now that I'm much more of a hardcore Back to the Future fan and yep. have like read the making of book and everything. You've been mansplained too at Comic-Con. <laughs> I've been mansplained too. <laughs> Um, he taught me everything I know. <laughs> um, so the most recent time that I watched it, as all the names were popping up in the opening credits, I was like, damn, I know that name. Damn, I know that name. Damn. So when I was looking up fun facts, I went and compared so that I could tell you exactly what, uh, artistic people overlapped. Director, obviously Robert Zemeckis. Yeah. Cinematographer. Producer. The score is Alan Silvestri. The mm. editor is the same. The costume diner, designer is the same. These are not all from Back to the Future 1, but they are from Back to the Future 1 through 3. Okay. I also found this fun fact that says this film was inspired by the original Tales from the Crypt movie, which oh. came out in the 70s and was obviously way before the show. This movie was originally going to be a sequel to the Tales from the Crypt movie from the 70s. Even crazier, if you guys had watched the trailer, Tales from the Crypt had come out by now. The show was already going at this point in 1992. Okay. But if you watch the trailer, the Tales from the Crypt theme plays over like half the trailer. <gasps> Robert Zemeckis was a huge part in Tales from the Crypt. He was the producer on, I think, every single episode. Okay. Which I know he slaps his producer mark on like everything, but this was something he actually... There's, yeah. There are two Tales from the Crypt movies. One of them is, I forget what it's called, and the other one is Bordello of Blood. That's the one we watched. Bordello of Blood? Yep. Uh, yeah, so that one he wrote. Okay. Rob Zemeckis wrote. And whether or not this is your first episode listening to us, Kayleen may as well have been born in 1980 because <laughs> <laughs> this bitch knows everything about the 80s and 80s movies, yes. and that's yes. just her yes. genre, yes. so... Ask her all about that someday. <laughs> I loved being a child in the 90s, but I wish there was a way I could have been a child in, that, in the 90s and a teenager in the 80s. You That's... kind of were. I really <laughs> feel that you might have been. <laughs> I was transported back. Because you had a sister 15 years older than you. True That's, that. That's, that's big. True that. Yeah. Uh, alrighty. So there's that. Still now dying to know who was in this movie. Yeah, I was going to say. Okay, now we're going into the film. Okay. Here, here you're going to get them all. The film opens with Madeline Ashton. This is Meryl Streep. Okay, okay. I was so scared was you like, were naming the <laughs> What did I name her? Rachel Lefebvre. No, that no. was the other chick. I oh. named her like Lana Banana or something. <laughs> yeah. So Madeline what? Madeline Ashton. Call she it. is performing on Broadway in a musical. The movie actually opens with people dropping her playbill on the ground and <gasps> saying, that was so horrible. She is so old and outdated. No one likes her anymore. Oh my god, Fosse Verdon vibes. <laughs> <laughs> also, the year is 1978. Okay. Eight the, years later. Or eight years left. <laughs> basically, they're going to get us up to present day. So at the okay. time, it's 1978. And she's in this musical. It's fine, whatever. It's like a fun time. And then we see in the audience the two people you don't know. They are engaged. Okay. It is 
Goldie Hawn. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the other one, I really want you guys to guess. It's not John Malkovich. Jason it's Statham. Mark Wahlberg. Action star from the 80s. <laughs> well, you and I saw this movie together in theaters. Die Hard. Bruce Willis? Yeah, Bruce, Bruce Willis. Willis. He is so meek and ridiculous. He's, his name is Ernest Melville. And he has a fake mustache and fake glasses and fake hair. And he's this little shy guy <gasps> who is like just a... Pussy whipped by his women. So, uh, yeah, Helen Sharp and Ernest Melville are sitting in the audience. Goldie Hawn, we all know. I mean, she's Kate Hudson's mom. She was fucking hot back then. People mm -hmm. thought yeah. she was so sexy. Same with Bruce Willis, right? He was, like, just coming off a of die hard. Like, he was the hunky action star. Yeah. As we know, all these people are, like, attractive human beings. They make Goldie Hawn's hair super frizzy and super short. They purposefully don't put any makeup on her. She's supposed to be this, like, kind of scrungy little shy girl. She's engaged to Ernest, who, as I described to you, looks... I mean, obviously he looks like Bruce Willis, but he looks nothing like what we think of Bruce So they're in the audience. As I said, everybody's hating this show. They're like, man, she's really lost her touch. She thinks she can get these young roles still, like, boo, Madeline Ashton. When the show is over, uh, Ernest Melville stands up and he can't stop cheering. He's oh. like, best show ever! Yes! And Helen hmm. sees this and is obviously upset by this. We don't really know anything yet, but it, it's clear that upsets her. Now, we see <laughs> Madeline Ashton backstage... These are the things that I live for in this movie, you guys. <laughs> She's looking in her mirror, and she knows that Helen, because they know each other, she knows that she's going to come visit her. So she's in her dressing room, and she's looking in her mirror, and she's kind of, like, pulling at her temples with her fingers, looking at her face really intricately, and she goes, wrinkled, wrinkled little star. <laughs> she goes, Hope they never see the scars. I'm already ready to watch this movie. <laughs> Give it to me now. <laughs> and so then, uh, <laughs> Helen and Ernest walk in, and she's she's already like practicing how she's gonna react to them walking oh. in. And it's all so fake. You can tell just by this interaction that Madeline and Helen do not like each other. Okay. But somehow they know each other. They give each other hugs. And uh, she introduces Madeline and, oh, this is my fiancé, Ernest. He's a plastic surgeon, this and that. Which that so seems to... got bucks. That seems to spark some interest from Madeline oh, that he's a plastic the wrinkle surgeon. Queen. Oh. She wants a wrinkled, wrinkled little star. We find out that go that uh, Helen is a writer. She's, I think Madeline maybe makes some comment about, oh, have you written anything since I've seen you? And she says, no, like, still trying to get a something that'll take off. And it's kind of this sad moment, but we know that she's an aspiring writer. Okay. And basically they go home and Ernest can't stop talking about Madeline Ashton. Helen has this little cloth that she keeps wringing in her hands. It's kind of a nervous, angry tick. Mm -hmm. And she's saying, you know, all the men I've ever loved have always fallen for Madeline, and I knew that I would have to introduce you to her because you needed to pass the Madeline Ashton test. And he goes, that's ridiculous. There's no way I would ever love Madeline Ashton. 
Hard cut to him marrying Madeline Ashton. <gasps> oh no! Aww. Yeah. So we see them walking down the aisle. It's this big show. And so they're getting married, and then we see Helen in the corner wringing that cloth again <laughs> so hard that her hands bleed. Now we get a seven year time jump, mm. and the focus is on Helen. She's in her house, she's huge. She's so fat. She's oh, fat? what? She's oh. fat. Oh, is it like good prosthetics and fat suits? We don't see it for very long. I'm convinced by it. Okay. She has a whole bunch of cats. Her apartment is disgusting. She grabs some ice cream that she's eating with her fingers. Ouch! <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cold. <laughs> she's sitting on her, uh, like, lazy boy, and she turns on her TV. And we watch her really joyously and creepily watching some show or movie. And then finally on the screen, we see Madeline Ashton. Mm-hmm. In whatever movie or show this is, in this scene, Madeline Ashton dies. Okay. So she watches her die and kind of laughs about it as this is happening. Her landlord is knocking on her door like, you need to open up, like, come out right now, the cops are here, because she hasn't paid her rent, I think. They're trying to evict her, he's slamming on the door, and as the cops finally burst down the door, she's just watching this clip of Madeline dying over and over again. She keeps rewinding it and watching it and rewinding it. And watching She's it. She's a little psycho. Is She's it, a psycho. Is it like a soap opera It's clip? very soap opera-y. Now, Helen is put in a mental institution. And it's this group circle shot where it's her with a bunch of other people, you know, at some type of mental institution therapy session. Why, Nona Ryder's there. <laughs> no. <laughs> Angelina Jolie is there. It's actually Girl Interrupted. Yes. This is a prequel. <laughs> <laughs> So they're sitting in this circle and you know it once you've already seen it like I have that everyone kind of has this wary look on their face as if they are concerned about what Helen's going to say. Especially the therapist woman, the one who's actually running the circle. So they're in the circle. The therapist says, okay, Helen, it's your turn. What do you want to talk about? And everyone's waiting and she goes... Madeline Ashton. Everybody loses their shit. Everyone in the circle is so mad. And they're all, you know, stereotypical 90s mental institution people. They're all freaking out, kind of screaming and, like, getting very upset. It's clear that every single time they ask her what's wrong, she says Madeline Ashton. So it cuts to her in a room with the therapist alone. I was going to say, is it a bit much? (laughs) It's a bit much. Okay. Uh, The therapist says... You need to stop focusing on Madeline Ashton. We've been here for six months and you haven't made any progress. Well, she's controlling. Have they addressed the problem? You know, like <laughs> natural therapy, which you should do, is address the problems. Her therapist says, You need to stop focusing on Madeline Ashton. And she says, You need to eliminate Madeline from your mind. And mm. we don't really know. This never really comes up again, but. We see this weird smirk on Helen's face, like, hmm, you're right. And the doctor's like, glad I'm right. And Helen's like, you're right. She's gonna murder her. Now, (laughs) guess what? Time jump, seven more years. Now it's modern day. We're at Madeline Ashton's house. We have realized her career has slowly waned. 
she's getting older, she can't handle that she's getting older. All she can think about is her youthful looks. She has all these weird face strips on her face that she's sleeping with overnight. Okay. She has a maid that comes in and gives her certain things and she barely moves when she wakes up. The maid says, oh, look, this invitation just came in the mail for you. It's uh, from your friend Helen Sharp. And it's an invitation to her first big book release. The book is called Forever Young. (laughs) (laughs) Slap in the face to Madeline Ashton. And it's got the date of the party on it, whatnot. And, you know, Madeline hasn't seen her in years, so she's like, I gotta look hot, I gotta go to this party and show up that fat fatty. She somehow (gasps) knows she's fat. I don't know how. Ernest, we see him passed out in the attic. He's now an alcoholic. Ew, who falls asleep in an attic? That's where spiders are. (laughs) It's like a nice attic. It might not even be an attic, but it's like a floor above. Whatever he's in is very nice, but I think their house only has two stories and he's above the second story. So I think he's in a nice attic. Anyway, he's passed out on the ground and it's clear there's like an empty glass next to him and the maid comes in with a Bloody Mary like, this will revive ya. So we've found out that in the meantime, since, you know, all these time jumps... He's no longer a plastic surgeon. He's actually the exact same job as Amber Atkins. He does makeup on dead bodies because he knows all that kind of stuff about, like, cosmetology and things. So he does, like, he's the best makeup in town. We now see Madeline going to a spa that she goes to all the time because she needs to impress. She needs to look so hot for this book release. She goes to the spa. She says to her spa woman, it's very generic, she says... (laughs) Give me that treatment or whatever. And the woman's like, no, I can't. It's experimental. We can only do it so many times in so many. We can't give it to you again. And Madeline is desperate. So she says money is no object. The girl goes, all right, and leaves. All of a sudden, there's this guy in like another corner of the room. And he goes, oh, money's no object. That's so interesting. I could totally help you out. He goes, so you say money's no object, is that correct? She says, yes. He goes and turns off the cameras in the room, and he gives Madeline a business card. And she kind of looks at it, and he doesn't really say what it's about. He just says, you know, that'll give you what you're looking for. And she rips it in half, but then puts it in her purse. So it's like, if you really didn't want it, you would have thrown it away. But anyway, Madeline and Ernest go to this book party. Madeline's so excited to see Helen there. This woman comes up to Ernest as they're at the bar, and this is when we get the cameo from Robert Zemeckis' wife. She comes up to Ernest, and she goes, Oh my goodness, are you Ernest Melville? He says, Oh yeah, I am. Hmm. And she goes, Oh, my aunt recently passed away, and the work you did on her was amazing. She looked so good. You captured her spirit, this and that. What's your secret? Which, like, the first part I get, but the second part is like, what do you want him to say? He steals Meryl Streep's youth. (laughs) Like, what do you (laughs) want? But so she's like, what's your secret? And he goes, oh, you know, it's so funny. I actually, I realized that conventional makeups don't work on, like, the deceased decaying skin. So I use spray paint. And he goes into detail on how it works. And this woman is horrified. I love that, because I can picture Bruce delivering this so deadpan and being, like, very methodical about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it's funny, too, because I feel like nowadays he kind of phones it in with some movies. And back Mm. then, 
he was so committed, he gets into almost like this tizzy where he's <laughs> so worked up and excited about like, oh, I get to share my secret. I use spray paint and this and I do this. And he's so excited about it. And then she runs away and he's like, oh, my bad. <laughs> I freaked her out. Now they kind of are like, where even is Helen? She's not even at her own book party. We haven't seen her yet. We've been here for a while. Then they finally see mm-hmm. her from behind. Well, she's like, you know, still fat. She's got that frizzy hair that she had in that first she's scene. She's still fat? So we see like her, the back of her frizzy hair. We see like the coat and like the back of her. And Madeline is like, ha 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 ha. She's still fat. That's so funny. That's so mean. The fat woman moves and Madeline Ash, or sorry, Helen is actually in front of her and she's skinny and beautiful wearing a red dress. She looks great. Her hair is not frizzy anymore. So yeah, so there she is. Wow. And now Madeline Ashton is like, let's go. I want to get out of here. And uh, of course, Ernest is like, no. Let's stay. <laughs> He's such a scumbag. Can we talk about, yeah, the real villain of this film <laughs> is Bruce Willis? Oh, I like her because she's a famous actress and I'm going <laughs> to dump your ass. Oh, now you're hot and you're old. I'm going to dump your ass. Okay. So he, they strut over and this part is also really funny. They have this little banter where... I just find it hilarious because it's so passive aggressive where the two girls are hugging and doing the side cheek kisses and... There's this funny banter where Helen says, Oh, Madeline, it's so good to see you. I had an assistant that said you would come because she said, Madeline will go to anything. She'll go to the opening of an envelope. Like it's oh, a diss. wow. <laughs> and, and Madeline kind of makes this face and she goes, Don't worry, I fired her. And she goes, Well, I almost fired her. Like, it's so savage that she's just, like, it's that passive-aggressive insulting her to her face. It's hilarious. Now they get home. Everyone has dispersed. Madeline storms out of their mansion to go see who we now see. She's having an affair with a younger (gasps) man. She goes to have an affair with this random guy. It's clear she's actually been doing this for a while. And he comes, and he's in his boxers, and he's like, hey, baby, what's going on? They kiss. And it's clear he's being weird. He doesn't want to invite her inside, but she's having these issues because she just saw her old nemesis Mm -hmm. being really sexy, so she wants to go have sex with her younger, you know, side piece. And he's being really strange, and she goes, I'm sorry, are you not alone? And he's like, I would never do that. And then in the background, you hear someone, then she's like, oh, I knew you had somebody over. And basically, it turns into this thing where... Yes, as a human, you have a reason to be mad at this person, but you don't. You're cheating on your husband, and now the guy and you're cheating, guy cheating on is cheating on you with cheating on yeah. yeah, it's allowed, you know? And she chews him out, so then he kind of turns on her and goes, You know what? You should be with someone your own age anyway. <laughs> we look ridiculous together. You're old. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so she storms out. It's raining because it's dramatic, and she's so upset. She's in her car. She's r- riding in the rain. And she, I, I don't know, maybe almost crashes or something. She's just so emotional. <laughs> and she goes, you know what I'm going to look at? That business card I ripped in half in my purse. I'm going to go to the business card place. Uh, so she makes it to this clue-ass looking mansion. This is so the vibe right now. Okay. It's so clue vibe. So Tales from the Crypt. Like, this is when the movie really starts to feel like one of those. Mm-hmm. Cut to a scene of Helen, and she's practicing this line of, 
I need to speak to Madeline at once. And then she like kind of sprays air in her eyes to make it look like she's crying. And it's she a goes, real Patsy Ramsey moment. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's what it's like. And she, she just keeps practicing and, it, and then she thinks she's nailed it. So she walks away. As she walks away, the camera zooms out. Surrounding her mirror are a bunch of pictures of Madeline deformed and crossed out and like, you know, maimed. And then above it in like red lipstick, it says, never again. A crazy ass (laughs) murderer wall from Veronica Mars. Yeah. (laughs) Back to Madeline. She is at the mansion of Liesel, who is this really pretty, tall, I guess at the time she was actually a model in real life, and she wears very little clothing in the whole movie. So she's wearing this, like, little skirt. It's kind of one of those tie skirts you wear over a bathing suit, so it's not even a full skirt. Okay. And she's wearing this huge, gaudy necklace, but it's the only thing she's wearing, so it's covering her breasts. Oh, Um, it's that big of a necklace? It's a huge necklace, covered in jewels, yeah. (laughs) So she's wearing this little tie skirt and this necklace. She's kind of the epitome of beauty. Okay. Now we cut back to Helen. She has gone to Madeline and Ernest's house. Ernest opens the door, and she does her line that she said, Madeline, I need to speak to Madeline at once. (gasps) And he goes, Madeline's not here. And she chucks her umbrella and goes, oh, thank God. And comes into the house and does this whole, it's so overly dramatic, like on purpose, as in she is trying to fake out Ernest, but we as an audience know she's being fake. Okay. And she's just being so dramatic. She's still wearing that beautiful red dress and she's doing the damsel thing herself. And she's saying like, I can't believe you're not a plastic surgeon anymore. What has she done to you? She doesn't care about you. She doesn't love you. And she kind of comes up to him and wraps her arms around him. And I forget exactly the wording, but she says something like, you must know by now that you're a very sexual being. (laughs) And he's like, huh? And she goes, oh, I know it must be strange to hear me say that because I never used to be the kind of girl who could say the word sexual without blushing. (laughs) And it's this whole ridiculous scene where she just keeps saying, like, sexual. And he drops his drink because she's being so sexy. So then it goes back to Madeline. She's in this mansion. That that beautiful woman is sitting on the couch. And she goes, all right, here's this... This is the whole reason you came here, is because of this thing. And she opens this box, and there's this magic-looking potion inside. And she says, like, this is what you came here for. And Madeline kind of laughs and is like, I don't know what you're talking about. This beautiful woman says, how old do you think I am? And Meryl goes, 38. And she kind of makes a sour face, like, how dare you guess that I'm 38. She goes, sorry, 28. I don't know, 23. This woman goes, I'm 71 years old. Oh. And Meryl's like, oh, what? Huh? And she goes, this potion stops the aging process in its tracks. I can show you. And she takes this knife and she stabs Meryl Streep's finger. She takes a little drop of the potion and puts it in that little area where she took the blood. And Meryl Streep's hand turns into a beautiful, youthful, flawless hand. And she... Basically, once she does that, the sampling on her hand, then she's convinced her. She's like, oh, damn, I will pay you any amount of money for this. I want this. The woman says to her, once you take this, you need to know, because you're not going to age anymore, 
you have like 10 years that you can play this out or you know that's that's kind of your window for this agreement oh and then she has to like move or something pretty much after that you gotta do something you have to fake your own death or you gotta move away because people are going to be suspicious and we can't have them coming back to me and then she says which this is too old of a reference for me but i looked it up online she says one of our clients simply said i want to be alone do you guys know what that is it's not sunset boulevard is it it's this famous actress from, I think, the 50s, Greta Garbo. She, that was a famous quote of hers because she was, like, one of the most reclusive actresses. She was famous. She said, I want to be alone and was, um, like, in reclusion, like, the rest of her life. The joke is that because she went into the reclusion when she was young, this movie is saying, yeah, she, she stopped aging in its tracks and then she had to go into hiding. So that's that. And then Meryl takes the potion and it's like, mm, nom, nom, nom. And then the woman goes... <laughs> Now, a warning. And she goes, now, a warning? Like, after I've already taken the potion? And she says, you need to take care of your body because you guys are going to be together for a long time. Madeline is looking in a mirror as her body starts to change. So we see this really funny, like, her butt gets tighter, like, her boobs go up, like, her mm-hmm. skin gets flawless, <laughs> her hair's prettier. And then I found this fun fact that they made, like, a, basically a mechanical bra for this scene. Okay. But it looked so ridiculous that instead what they had to do is Meryl Streep's dresser from, like, off screen had to, like, push her breasts inward, like, off Uh. camera. So it's literally like someone off screen is, like, pushing her boobs to look like they're getting lifted higher. I really love how, like, our predictions were like, she's gonna die. But now it's like, (laughs) nope. Those boobs, perky. That face, lifted. The rest of her, flawless. Dead ass, tighter. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so that's that. Then we have a cut to Ernest and Helen are back at the mansion making out. They're full on making out. We find out that everyone around town knows about Madeline sleeping with that younger guy. Yeah, because somehow Helen knows and she's not even like in that crowd. So she's like, how can you deal with her cheating on you like that? You deserve better. And he goes, you're right. Let's get a divorce. I'm going to file for a divorce. And she's like, no, stupid. We're going to kill her. Oh my god! I knew it. I knew it. So Helen says, no, no, I've already thought about this in detail. Here's how it's going to go. And they play a whole little, like, kind of dream sequence about it. So the plan is they're going to put this, I forget what the drug is called, but they're going to put this specific drug on the rim of all of the wine glasses so that no matter which one Madeline has, it'll be drugged. So, uh, basically the plan is she's like, I'm going to get myself invited to dinner. And then when Madeline drinks her wine, she's going to pass out. And we are going to basically stage a drunk driving accident where we go to this cliffside and we're going to put all this alcohol in the the vehicle with her. She's going to go off the cliff. It's going to burst into flames. So that's the plan. And Helen then leaves. She's like, bye bye. I'll come back when, when I get invited over for dinner. Madeline returns home. She's so happy to be young again, strutting around the house. Uh, Ernest kind of makes a couple comments like, do you do something to your hair? And she's like, did I do something to my hair? You're so stupid, you stupid man. So um, then they get in this argument at the top of the stairs. It's really heated. 
We know that he already has that idea in his mind of, like, maybe I'm going to kill my wife. This isn't, like, the whole argument, but she just keeps focusing on this word flaccid and making Ew. fun of him. Flaccid. Flaccid. And he's getting so mad, and they have this big argument, and he pushes her down the stairs. Knew it. <gasps> the staircase. <laughs> it's the movie The Staircase. And by that, I mean the real story. <laughs> yeah, that mini drama on Amazon before it went to Netflix. So, yeah, pushes her down the stairs. He's like, oh, oh no, thinks she's dead. And he runs down the stairs, and her neck is full 180 turned around backwards. Oh. I feel like I've seen that. And he's, like, lifting up her arm. She's clearly dead, and he freaks out, and he goes over to the phone, and he calls Helen, and he goes, hey, so, like, our plan worked. I totally murdered her ass. Aren't you proud of me? And Helen goes, no, are you kidding me? Like... Not only did you kill her in a not good way, I guess we could try to spin it as an accident, mm. but you called me before you called the police. Oh. They have that little conversation where she says, all right, well, we need to figure out what you're going to do because you called me before you called 911. Call 911 right now and tell them that you were on the phone with me when you heard your wife fall down the stairs. Like, Very that's how we're going to spin it. Dope. Helen's a smart hoe. So, as they're having this conversation, deciding what they're going to do, in the background we see... Her head turns 180. Nope, her head's still on backwards, <gasps> but she is standing up. And she is walking... She actually hasn't realized yet that her body is backwards, so she thinks she's walking <gasps> forwards. Oh, cool. Because that's where she's seeing. And she goes, you pushed me down the stairs? And obviously that freaks him out because he <laughs> sees his wife walking backwards at him. And he freaks out and runs away. And they have this little interaction. He's like, Madeline, look at your body. And she realizes what's going on. They're both freaking out. She ends up snapping her head back. But when she does that, her collarbone is all kinds of messed up. And he's like, Madeline, that is not normal. We got to take you to the hospital. Because uh, he doesn't know about the elixir, so he's just like, what? So they he takes her to the hospital. Kayleen's terrified of zombies, by the way. <laughs> he takes her to the hospital. The, the doctor is, like, testing the mobility of her wrists and stuff, because he knows she took a tumble down the stairs, but doesn't know the husband pushed her. And he's bending her wrist back, and he's, like, doing it really lightly at first, and says, like, does this hurt? Does this hurt? She says, no. And then he keeps going further and further, and she keeps saying no, and he's like, you're telling me that this doesn't hurt, and bends it back, like, all the way to where her fingers are touching her arm. And she's like, no, it doesn't hurt. And he kind of gets afraid, and he goes, okay, well, I'm gonna check your pulse. She doesn't have a pulse. Death she became is... her. So then, he she, he goes, okay, you said something was wrong with your neck, what's up with your neck? And she goes, oh, well, look, see, here... And he looks at it, and it's very clear that the injury on her collarbone slash neck is uh, broken vertebrae and stuff, and she should be dead wow. as hell. Cool, cool, and cool. he freaks out, and he's kind of like, I gotta, uh, I gotta go check on what's wrong with you, I don't know, and he runs out of the room. Then Ernest runs after him like, we gotta figure this out, she's clinically dead, what's going on? And her body temperature's too low. So they both run out of the room, and because of this, like, realization that she has all the characteristics of a dead person, she faints. And then, uh, Ernest can't get anybody's attention, so he goes back to the room to see what's up with Madeline, and he goes in there, Madeline's not there, and there's some other doctor chick in there, and he goes, wait, 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 where's Madeline? She's like, I'm so sorry, sir, your wife is dead. He's like, what? no, no shit. 
where'd you, where'd you take my wife? And she's like, I know this is hard. And he goes, no, where is she? And she's like, she's in the morgue where the dead bodies go or whatever. And he goes, and he's like, I got excess. And he goes, the morgue, she'll be furious. <laughs> and then he oh. runs down to the morgue because he knows she's not dead. And, uh, he finally like gets into the morgue. I think he breaks in. I don't think he's actually allowed to be down there. He gets to the morgue, unzips her, and she's like, I fainted and I woke up and everything was black because she was trapped in those little morgue, like, freezer things. He goes, we're going to take you home. It's going to be fine. And it seems that from this incident that he's unaware of what's going on, it seems that he's kind of got this new spark for their relationship because he's excited that this fun, interesting, weird thing is happening. Now we get to both deal with this phenomenon together. So they go home. He's totally forgotten about Helen's plan. The two of them are in the mansion, and he's testing out all of his mortuary paints because now that she has technically died, her body is losing color. She doesn't look quite right. So he's literally spray painting her whole body to make her look like a real person again. So he kind of, it almost looks like a spray tan on her. And he's working on her. She's wearing, like, literally just underwear. And he's, like, painting her back or whatever. And he goes, oh, this isn't the right kind of, uh, I don't know. Um, Shade. Consistency or something. I need to go get this other chemical. And he goes downstairs to see Helen waiting in the foyer. Helen's there to help him clean up the body of Madeline. And, and she's trying to find the body because she thought it was at the foot of the stairs. But Ernest says, no, no, she's alive. She's fine. Helen does not believe him. She's like, you're hiding something from me. What's going on? I'm going to find her. She brought, like, a tarp and rope and all these things to go hide the body with. Uh, And then she kind of lays out, like, what about our plan? I thought we were going to do it this way, but you just go and push her down the stairs. Like, why are you being so weird now and saying she's alive? We see Madeline overhearing this from the top of the stairs. So now Madeline knows that he was planning to kill her the whole time and that it wasn't just a weird accident, that they got in a fight, that he was going to kill her regardless. Madeline comes downstairs to reveal to Helen that she is alive. And she struts in and she But like in a zombie way. (laughs) Yeah. But he's already kind of finished her now and she's put clothes on. Okay. So she looks like a normal person. She walks down and she looks fabulous and she goes, oh, you wanted to do what? That's so interesting. And it's very clearly, again, really passive. And she's kind of saying like, oh, I didn't know you guys were going to kill me. Like, that's cool. How'd that work out for you? Blah, blah, blah. She leaves the room and Ernest is so frantic. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, Madeline. I hope you're not mad at me. Oh, gosh. Like... I I would never do that to you, and he's trying to console her, and then as he leaves to go find her, we see that she's taken one of the shotguns off the wall. So now it pans over, and it's just Madeline and Helen, and Madeline kind of sneaks up on Helen with the gun, and I forget what the one-liner is, but she says something to her, and she shoots her ass in the stomach, and Helen goes flying and falls into the pool, like the pool fountain thing, and bleeds out. Madeline won't stop saying how stoked she is that she's dead, and Ernest is like, what are we gonna do? We have a legit murder on our hands? This is the halfway point. I think that none of these characters are, um, 
likable people. Yeah. None of them are good people. So I don't think any of them are going to end up on top. <laughs> I think they're all eventually going to die. We already know that Meryl Streep is going to have to do something to make her... She already got the foreshadowing information about how she's going to have to fake her death or something like yeah. that. Goldie Hawn... Maybe they'll try to revive her with it, and then she's in the same situation. And I still think that the car going off the cliff is going to come into play. Mm-hmm. And that maybe, I mean, I am i don't think that this movie is going to have it, but maybe since they're both in the same boat, and they're going to start to realize that they have a lot more similarities than mm-hmm. they intended. And maybe they will um, realize that um, Bruce Willis is okay. the person that they should, like, focus their, you know, angry efforts against. Mm, like mm. he's the enemy? Yeah. So they throw him off the cliff or something in the mm. car, and they have to disappear off into the abyss or whatever. Uh, obviously, Golden Hawn isn't dead. It's the middle of the movie. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's, that's All right. what I got. Riffing off of Kimmy, yeah. the women will live... And or only Goldie will live. Okay. Because she seems like the least volatile of the three of them mm-hmm. in terms of Bruce kind of just like going towards whatever is hip and trendy and Meryl being all about vanity. How do we think Bruce dies? The cliff, if that's what Kimmy is saying. They throw, they, they do the whole glass thing. I don't know. I think that everything that you've said is going to come back into play okay. like as the reversal. So. Yeah. All right. So as uh Madeline and Ernest are preparing the tarp, Helen emerges from the pool. Stands up, there's a giant hole in her stomach, but she's still alive. And I would just like to say the fun fact right here that this movie won the Oscar for Best Visual Effects, beating out Batman Returns and Alien 3. So as this happens, Madeline and Ernest are obviously both very shocked, and Ernest says something like, it's another miracle! And Madeline's like, you're an idiot, it's not a miracle, this bitch took that elixir. (laughs) So she goes up to her, and she looks for a pin on her clothes, because when she left... The lady's place, she took a little pin off her necklace and hmm. put it on Meryl Streep. So she looks on Goldie's, sorry, she looks on Helen's blouse and she finds the exact same pin, implying hmm. that she has also taken the elixir. But she cool. got it way before, like, exactly when she was fat. And, guys, I didn't notice this, but I saw it on the fun facts, and I went and fact-checked it because I was so stoked on this. When they find out each other is taking the elixir, and they're both like, you took it, you took it, well, when did you take it? Helen says, I took it on October 26, 1985. Helen says that? That's a Back to the Future not. I was like, oh, isn't that awesome? So, yeah, that's pretty stoked. They then have a battle. At this point, Ernest is not a part of it really at all. He doesn't know what's going on. So they're swinging garden shovels at each other and trying to hit each other in the face. Apparently on set, Meryl Streep accidentally gave Goldie Hawn a scar on her cheek (gasps) by hitting her with a shovel on accident. Uh, They end up like, it's all this weird, silly visual effect. It's like slapstick comedy where they're 
she's hitting her head around backwards and she's like smashing her head into her body. It's like mm-hmm. looks ridiculous, but like still pretty realistic. Mm-hmm. Basically, they kind of fight it out. And then they end up getting a little vulnerable and realizing that the only reason that they've been fighting this whole time is because they've had these issues, like emotional issues with each other. And they start talking it all out. And Ernest kind of gets that he's not a part of this. And I think he's also realizing these women don't give a shit about me, which is a little sad because a second ago he thought they were fighting to be with him and uh-huh. he was on top of the world. Yeah. And so he goes upstairs a little bit upset because he didn't think that uh, it was about their egos. He thought it was about him. Yeah. So they're saying all these things. Madeline basically says, when we were, I think they knew each other in high school. It was either high school or college. She says... When we were in high school, you thought I was cheap. You would never invite me to the parties you would throw with all your friends. And um, Helen says, well, you stole every man I ever loved. Like, admit it. You did it to, to hurt me. You did it on purpose. They both basically admit, yes, I thought you were cheap. Yes, I did it to hurt you. Can we be friends now? And they mm. kind of reconcile and sit down and talk about it. And then they realize, why are we doing all this? Let's actually just go back upstairs and get Ernest to fix us up because we look ridiculous. So they go upstairs, and as they go up there, he's kind of already packing his stuff. He's decided he's going to GTFO. They're like, where are you going? And he realizes there's no place here for him and that they are selfish and I'm not going to deal with you guys anymore. And they say, no, 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 please. At least just fix us this one time, and then we'll leave you alone forever. He goes, you'll never contact me again. They both go, no, (laughs) never. So he repairs them, and they look fabulous, beautiful, whatever. I'm sure there's still a hole in her stomach, but she wears shirts that cover it or something. (laughs) Any shirt will do. (laughs) Right, as long as it's not too tight. So they're really excited. He's kind of walking out the door. He's, like, getting his last-minute things. I think it's the next day or something. And as the two women are talking, one of them, their skin kind of peels. So it's like, it's as if either the skin is peeling or like the paint that he put on them is peeling. And she goes, oh no. And underneath it, it's gray because they're both dead now because they've both been. And I I think they would have been fine if they hadn't been, you know, uh, realistically killed. But because they have, then now all this stuff is happening. Uh, it's also kind of funny because Helen got to be young and beautiful for a full seven years, whereas Madeline right? got to be for, like, one day. One day. No one even saw her, and now they have these problems they have to deal Helen's with. Helen's a queen for, like, keeping it under the radar. Right? <laughs> yeah. But if you remember, that book she got famous for was called Forever Young. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's really cool. Right? So, they realize that things like this are just gonna happen, where pieces of their skin might fall off or what if they need a touch up then what are we gonna do so they agree they're gonna need to somehow get Ernest to stick around so they get the idea we should get him to take the elixir no he probably won't ever do that let's drug him like we were gonna do before (laughs) I don't really know what their whole plan is on that but I think it's that they're gonna drug him and like lock him in a room and be like fix us forever or something I don't know solid plan So they try to get him to take a drink because they, you know, he's an alcoholic and so they put the drug in his drink 
and he keeps dramatically speaking to them so that... At, it's like sloshing around. It's literally sloshing all out of the glass <laughs> as he's speaking to them. And then when he has maybe an inch, probably not even that much, of drink left and he's about to drink it, he goes, you know what? I drink too much and dumps it into the plant. <gasps> and he just says, like, I need to, basically, I need to turn my life around, stop being an alcoholic. And the girls are so upset and he starts to leave and they smash him over the head with a vase. Yeah! So then he wakes up and he's in the swimming pool chambers of Liesel's house. And because she, for whatever reason, doesn't wear clothes, she's swimming naked. So yeah, she gets out of the pool, and she is talking to Ernest, and she shows him the elixir, and she goes, your friends Madeline and Helen wanted me to tell you about this. Isn't it awesome? Here's what it does. He's a little bit iffy about it, and then she does the finger prick thing to him like she did to Madeline, mm-hmm. and his hand gets all young. And so she, it seems like she's convincing him, and, and he sees his pretty hand, and But then she just gets weirdly pushy about it and says, like, yes, do it. You need to do it. It's going to be amazing. She says, you're going to live forever. She sounds evil. And he goes, as he's literally about to take the drink, he goes, wait, 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 forever? She's like, yeah, duh. And he goes, that sounds like a nightmare. Why would I want to live forever? Everyone around me is going to grow old and die, and I'm going to stay young, and then, you know, what if I get in a horrible car accident? What if I get maimed? What if, you know, I get beheaded, and then I'm just alive? What is that? And she's like, oh, that's so weird. Like, no one's ever asked me that before. (laughs) And he decides this whole thing is horrible, and it's a sham. We also find out that tonight, she's throwing a party that she throws every year for all of her clients. So anyone that's ever taken the elixir gets invited to this party. Oh every my year. gosh, I love it! It's gonna be a Tim Burton fest. <laughs> a Tim Burton fest. Everyone's gonna show up with janky ass arms and like backwards heads and. Oh, that's <gasps> really funny, but no. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> okay. So he says all this and realizes this is horrible, and this girl's kind of a monster. So he takes the potion and runs away. He's like, I'm going to stop you from giving this to someone else. But clearly she has a lot of potion because she has a lot of guests. So that wasn't the the only one. Yeah. But he runs away and she goes, we need to stop him. He's going to ruin everything or whatever. And he's attempting to escape. He's running through the party. Who does he bump into? But any guesses? Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley is at the party. He does have a cameo. He runs into Marilyn Monroe Andy Warhol, and then some other chick who I think is supposed to be someone, but I don't know. Basically being like, these people all took the elixir and that's why we think they're dead. There's this funny joke where the guy on the mic is like, you know, we all need to play it cool so we don't get found out. I've heard that some of you like to make appearances in public oh, like for cute. attention. And then like the camera goes to Elvis and he's like, what? Or whatever. So, yeah, he runs into all those people. He's trying to escape. Madeline and Helen see him trying to escape, but they lock down the building. So now he's got to get creative on how to escape. So he, like, goes out some window or something. He ends up on the roof. He has to die hard it. Fly down on the fire hose. (laughs) I would love that. Uh, Helen and Madeline end up getting kind of, like, on a roof across from him, and they're like... Oh no, we don't want you to die. And they distract him and he falls and he's like hanging from a pipe on the the building. 
He's gonna die if he falls. It is so Ooh. far above the ground. And they are pleading with him. He still has the elixir in his pocket. They go, please, please, please take the elixir. Then you won't die. Then you'll fall and you'll be fine. And he he thinks about it. He almost does it. But it's kind of the same thing that happened with Liesl where she just pushed him too hard. Where rather than pleading with him, they start to go, you need to take it. Like, you need to help us. That's kind of a fun trope. Yeah. Okay. So he goes, you know what? No. And he drops it. And uh, they said, like, we need you or something. And he goes, sorry, you girls are on your own. Does he kill himself? And, well, he's, he, it's, like, really dramatic, but he's hanging by, like, his suspenders or something. And they, <laughs> they break. And the, the, he already dropped the potion. So he falls. And when he falls, now we see that he was actually above the pool house. So he crashes through the mm. glass and lands in the pool, which realistically he'd probably still for sure die. But he doesn't. He lands in the pool and gets out, and he's okay. But Helen and Madeline think that he has died. Now he gets out of the pool. He's running away. He goes, and there's a whole valet service over there, and there's people waiting for their valet cars. And he wants to escape before people stop him or get him or whatever. So he steals the Porsche of whoever was about to get into the Porsche. <laughs> they turn around, it's James Dean. So he yeah. stole James Dean's Porsche. And I, drive I love this, this party of dead people. Right? What, Kimmy? This car is called Little Bastard. Is it really? Pretty sure. Well. So he steals the car, and we see Helen and Madeline notice him taking off in the car, so they know he actually is alive. And they gotta go get him. They gotta get after him because they still feel entitled to him and his services or whatever. They're definitely not in love with him. They return to Madeline's place thinking that Ernest will be there, but he's not there. He's already packed his stuff and he's at the airport. He's he's gone. He's out of their sights. And they're kind of sitting on this bench and they realize that their paint jobs are starting to crack even more in more places on both of them. And they have this silly scene that's, this is just one of the testaments to their acting and how committed they are, where they're talking about, well, I guess if he's not going to do it for us, we'll just have to paint each other forever. And they're kind of laughing, and she goes, we'll have to, you know, paint each other's shoulders and faces, and who would have thought we'd have to spend the rest of our lives painting each other's asses? Ah And they're, like, (laughs) laughing about it, like, we'll be painting our asses forever. And then it cuts, it is 37 years later, and we're at a funeral. Whose funeral do you think Ernest. it is? Ernest! Yes. Aw. It's Ernest's funeral, and we don't, we just see the pastor for now in kind of a, a generic crowd of people, and the pastor is saying how Ernest's phrase used to be, life begins at 50. And he just goes on to talk about how great of a person Ernest was. There's these pictures all around of him climbing mountains and doing these great things. They say he got married again and had six kids with this new wife. And he started, like, an AA foundation. And he started, Mm. like, a marriage counseling foundation. They just are talking about how amazing he did after, you know, in those 37 years we haven't seen him. And we get this pan over to the back of the room, the very back, like way far away from the rest of the crowd of funeral goers, and there are two women, which are clearly Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn, 
in um, these black outfits with black veils over their face so that we can't see their faces. Cool. Very Heathers. Yes. Uh, the two girls start to look at each other's faces and skin and they realize that they're chipping and they don't want to draw attention to themselves so they need to add more paint. <gasps> and Helen says, where's the spray paint? It's in your purse, right? And they get in this big fight about who left the spray paint where. Um, now it cuts back to the preacher and he's saying that it's kind of this cool parallel where they're saying Ernest really did gain immortality because he has his kid's legacy to go on after him and all of his friends know about, you know, like mm. the impression that he left on his friends and family makes him immortal. It's mm. this really sweet parallel of you don't need to actually be immortal to feel complete and immortal. And then from the back of the church, as they're on their way out, Madeline goes, blah, 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 like so loud in the oh, church. Wow. <laughs> Everyone kind of looks at her and then they leave. And as they're walking out, they take their veils off and their faces look so gross. It's like, it looks like they've decayed really yeah. badly and like they don't know how to apply the makeup correctly or the spray paint or whatever. <laughs> so it just looks like their skin is really like chunky and gross and not well kept. Or like falling off. Falling and... off probably. Yeah. It just looks scary as fuck. Yeah, so they, they're looking at each other's faces and realizing how bad they look. They keep walking down the steps outside of the church. We get this pan out shot of the spray paint can sitting sideways on one of the steps. So somebody dropped it, I guess, at some point. As they're walking out, one of them trips on the spray paint and grabs the other one. They fall down the stairs because their <laughs> bodies are so old and decayed, they shatter all oh. over the sidewalk. So their heads are decapitated off their bodies. Ew! And their heads are both, like, upside down and kind of like spinning around and both of their scary looking ugly upside down heads are on the concrete and there's this moment of silence and Helen goes do you remember where you parked the car they're and that's still the last line of the movie they're still alive even though they're in pieces yep nightmare yep that's nightmare. how it ends <laughs> so they're really eternal no escaping mm -hmm. death does not even kind of become them yeah Cool. Yeah. Okay. That's how that goes. <laughs> okay, let's rate this. Ratings? Let's rate this sucker. Three, two, two one. one. Oh, cool. yours, yours went away, but I did see it before it went oh. away. Cool. Yeah, we've got Kimmy with a... A six. Courtney with a seven. And Killian with an eight. I and love that's it. like really fair, I think. I think so too, especially because I was teetering between... A seven and an eight, not even a six. Oh, cool. I, I like as soon as you began this, probably before the halfway point, I was like eight. I cannot wait to watch this movie. Oh, sick! I'm really excited <laughs> and to. And I have it, so you know you can watch it easily. Yes, and also just this one seems rewatchable. Yeah, and, it's fun. Uh, it's just got a vibe that makes you seems, yeah. have a fun time, even if it's not an A plus movie. And it seems like a vibe, and also something that would have been fun to grow up with. I am able to step out of body of this and say, realistically, critically, probably <laughs> doesn't deserve an 8, but in my heart it's an 8. Because cool. it's rewatchable, it's fun, it's got that vibe I like, it's got people I like involved, and 
There's no reason for me to give it lower. I gave it a six because I'm really curious to see it visually. You know, like the, just the production design and all of that. And I'm sure it'll be funny in the way that I don't find irritating. <laughs> oh, okay. But I've never been a huge fan of, you know, Beetlejuice and... Um, mm. I'm sure I would be if I grew up on it and stuff, but I that was never really part of my upbringing, like Beetlejuice or Edward Scissorhands or any, or just the vibe per se. Like, or who, what's that other kind of scary one that uh, Rob Zemeckis does where there's cartoons and Christopher Lloyd has like creepy eyes? Oh, Ro- uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, that. Yeah. I never, oh. you know, was a fan of that. It's funny that Christopher that. Lloyd's in that. He's the villain. No memory of that. He gets the, he's, he's half tune. Spoilers for Roger Rabbit. <laughs> he ends up being a tune and he gets crazy eyes and he gets steamrolled to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't see that movie till my 20s. Oh, I love so. that movie. So that's, that's why I gave it a six because I want to see it, but I don't think it'll be my fave and I, I don't think yeah. that I would rewatch it for you. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to close today with our watch list which is what we're adding to it and then our recommendation for the week yeah so my watch list um the trailer came out within the past week and i am so excited for it Mm, um i read yeah i read the book last year the goldfinch comes out this september with an all-star cast of people and i cannot wait to see it the trailer's out now roger deakins is the cinematographer there is just so many people attached to this film. Um, so, The Goldfinch is what I'm adding to my watch list. It's going to be there till September 13th. And for my recommendation, because you chose a female-driven comedy drama, it sounds like, uh-huh. um, before I watch The Handmaid's Tale and When They See Us and all those other things this week, I actually watched in all one sitting the second season of Fleabag. Oh, cool. In one sitting, on my cell phone, <laughs> and it is an incredible, incredible series. But also this season, I loved so much more than the first, oh. and it's beautiful and sentimental and stunning and sad. And I loved it so 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 much. So, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Andrew Scott, everything about them. Fleabag season two is what I recommend. Mm. Okay. Sweet. Are you ready? Yeah. My watch list item is the is Nightingale. It's going to come out August 2nd, and it's the same director as The Babadook. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Sam Claflin's in it, oh, love and him. that's the only person that I know's name. Um, looks like a, a, a bunch of uh, new faces, some newcomers. Hmm. I'm sure that they've had previous works. I'm just not familiar with them. Um, looks super creepy. I'm down. Cool. Um, for my recommendation... I would recommend kind of going in line with scary movies. This is for sure a scary one. Um, The Fourth Kind. Guys, that's so weird. What? Because when I was running Ragnar and I was telling all the Ragnarians about my podcast, (laughs) I was like, guys, listen to my podcast. It's awesome or whatever. Uh, My coworker, Matt... I don't know why, but he said, you guys should do an episode on the fourth kind. And I was like, oh, I've never heard of that or seen that. And not to say we need to do an episode on it, but I put it on my watch list because 
That's just really strange. Honestly, maybe Kimmy could. That. I Kimmy mean, could do that for a solo round. <laughs> I mean, I, I would, you know, hate to rewatch it because. <laughs> Is it, like, sad? No, it's scary as hell. And I watched it when I was pretty young. And also, it's kind of a mix of, you know, interviews and Mm -hmm. live footage. Have you seen it before, And reenactment. I've seen the trailer, and the trailer seemed so... Uh, like subverting of genres. Of yeah, these all these mm. things are coming in. I was just convinced for a real, really long time, probably until like maybe the last time we spoke about it, that um, it was based on real events. The way that a lot of horror movies, yeah, do. they have real footage mixed with reenactments of the story, and then at the end they have the person whose story it is there, and it's just it's a really bleak end, and I was like. That's fucking real. <laughs> I gotta say, American Animals is the only one to ever pull that idea off. Otherwise, it's a documentary or it's fiction. I like, guess I just... Seem... I was also under the impression that it was a popular um, thing for Alaska to have UFO sightings. Okay. And Ooh. that's why I was like, oh, this is probably like totally true. Yeah. Uh, but, it, alas. Alright, nice. Kayleen. So, on my watch list, I want to add... At some point, I really want to rewatch all of the Star Wars saga. Well, Courtney <laughs> has it all of them Kayleen, from the you, library. If you turn around, there's a stack of no other shoulder. There's a stack of Star Wars DVDs. Were those there yesterday? Yeah, they've been there for like five yeah, days. That's so funny because you pointed out like all the other ones. You didn't point out that you had Star Wars. Well, I yeah, last night I yeah. pointed out the non Star Wars ones. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, the Star Wars ones have been there for. Almost a week Uh-oh. now, um, because I asked Kimmy, will you rewatch the saga with me? And she said, yeah. Because oh, I, I love Star Wars so much, and I was like, I want to rewatch, start to finish, chronological. Not release chronological, not, okay. not, That's, not the so other chronological. So I was going to say, if, if I were to join you on this train, I would want to watch them in release order. Mm-hmm. No, that's what we want to do. Because the okay. only time that I have seen them, we like all of them... Anyway, because I've seen a couple of them more than once, but the only time I've sat down and watched them all, I watched them chronologically. Mm-hmm. So I would like to oh, do it you in watch one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the last okay. time I tried to do it, I watched the prequels first, yeah, and that was a no, mistake no, 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 because no. we only got through the prequels and then we went to go see <laughs> the new trilogy movie. So. That's, funny. That's really funny, yes. So Kayleen and I are currently in the midst of the Marvel Universe yeah. Our next movie is Winter Soldier. I mean, I definitely still want to finish those two. I do like... too, but that's really cute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. All right. Um, so that's your watch list? Yes. Okay. And then my recommendation, I'm going to say any episodes of Tales from the Crypt because it's oh, an anthology nice. show, so you don't have to watch them in order. And every episode has at least one famous actor in it who at the time might not have even been famous, which is really fun. So go find one somewhere. I don't really know I where. I YouTube. Probably. I don't, because I was going to say, I mean, my sister has the DVDs, which is how I've watched them, but go find one somewhere. They're awesome, and they all have a similar vibe. Some are really dark, and that's kind of the appeal. So go do that. Okay. So next week, I am going to be explaining a movie still in theaters, so catch it now or catch it later, but I will be explaining all of the queen of the office, (laughs) Mindy Kaling's and Emma Thompson's uh, Late Night, which is in theaters right now. So I will be explaining all of that to Kimmy and Kayleen. Yes, sir. Catch you on the flip side.
Catch you on the flippity flop. <laughs> I declare goodbye. <laughs> Bankruptcy.